fabulous stuff. This is Lee on BBC Three Counties Radio. I'm chuckling because um, we, we are trying to get the show in order for you this morning. Let's just say, let's just say we've maybe had our foot off the pedal slightly. We'll put our foot on the pedal and we will accelerate. I've got lost in this metaphor, so I shall stop. This morning, we're talking love looted. Big council meeting last night. Shortfall of £400,000. Can I ask, what would you spend £400,000 on? Yeah, it'd be good, wouldn't it? You can let us know. Uh, 81333, start your text 3CR. And also, Hazel Simmons, the leader of uh, Luton Borough Council, is coming on the show this morning. Have you got one question you would like to put to her? 08459 455 555. CCTV in schools, is it really necessary? In our region, there are over 7,000 cameras in schools, with quite a few in bathrooms and toilets. Strikes me as a little bit odd. And also, a Strictly Come Dancing starts this weekend. We are looking for two Strictly correspondents. But I don't want them to be over the age of ten, please. If you've got a kid or two kids or you know kids that you think could be good correspondents, they've got to come on every Monday morning. It's a regular gig. No money. Uh, then give us a call. Oh, wait, four, let's make that clear. No money. Oh, eight four five nine four double five five double five. BBC Three Counties Radio. By the way, uh, the, the, uh, exciting news about... You may have heard Monday show me banging on about um, uh, doing the uh, controlled crying to get my baby to sleep. Exciting news. Exciting news coming our way. Now, Luton Borough Council says that for the £400,000 loss from the Love Luton Festival will be met by income from the town's airport and not the taxpayer. However, opposition groups claim that the taxpayer will still bear the cost. Councillors met last night in Luton uh, to discuss the event, which included the Olympic torch and the carnival, and how to make back their money. Well, our reporter Sophie Soleri has been following the story and joins me now. Morning, Sophie. Good morning. What reasons were given for the loss? So the Labour leader of the council, Hazel Simmons, put the loss down to poor ticket sales, increased marketing costs and the additional money needed for security to manage Formula One star Lewis Hamilton carrying the torch through Luton, something she claims they were not aware of. As for the tickets for the two concerts, The Wanted and Ollie Murs, only 5,000 were actually sold at full price, a quarter of the amount they needed to break even. The Labour group admits they were ambitious they wanted to promote the town with good intentions, but they do regret that tickets were not sold. Yeah, I bet they regret that tickets were yeah. not sold. Uh, the, the money to make up the £400,000 shortfall is going to come from income from the airport, which the council owns. But they would have got that money anyways. It's just public money already, isn't it? Well, Hazel Simmons claims that because the money is being met by revenue from the airport, taxpayers won't have to pay. However, opposition groups say that however you dress it up, it's still just taxpayers' money. Money, of course, that could go to other projects. One of those being the Scout movement in Luton. Now, the council's proposing to increase the rent uh, that St Augustine Scout Group pay uh, to from £150 a year to £8,000. Peter Sunhurst from the Scout movement in Bedfordshire told our reporter Tony Fisher last night at the council meeting that it's just not fair when you consider the amount lost from the festival. £8,000 is peanuts against the 390-odd thousand that they've lost. As a result of the Luton Festival? Yes. So do you think some of that money uh, is coming from the airport? Could that money not go towards uh, the scout groups in Luton? Yes, it could, definitely. 
Yes, there's all sorts of ways in which they can uh, you know, consider this. The, the, they've got a, a shortfall of a, in, in their budget, not just of the um, festival, but other things as well. And um, they're, they're scraping the barrel. In order to, you know, the barrel is, in fact, the scouting. Well, um, they, they blame government cuts in funding. Uh, well, they would. <laughs> oh, well, they would. Uh, and it's not just groups like the scout movement which are going to suffer, is it? No, that's according to the Lib Dems on the Luton Borough Council. Martin Pentlin is the group deputy leader. In fact, he says that though the shortfall is being met by money from the airport taxpayers, we will still bear the cost. Well, it is, because the airport would usually, in normal circumstances, have had an arrangement where they've made that, those donations to the council in any event. So whether they pay that as a dividend through the year or whether they pay it as a special one and link it to Love Luton, it is still £400,000 short for services. Um, and services will suffer, and people like the scouts groups who were referred to in the meeting, who are, whose rent's going up, people like the cycle shops who are being kicked out of premises so they can put betting shops in just to get more rent. Communities are going to be affected by that money being lost. Let's be honest, Sophie, at the end of the day the council pitched the cost of the tickets too high i would suggest that having the wanted only moors it's going to attract the same audience and they were perhaps a little bit too ambitious in this whole project weren't they and as i say only now the labor group admit that they were ambitious the leader of the tory group mike um, garrett warned the council as far back as january uh, that to get twenty thousand people to attend a two-day event in the town was in fact um, ambitious mark shyman is the leader from the green party in luton and he was at the meeting as a member of the public last night he told tony fisher the tickets were just too high it was a failure because of the overpricing and it is diverted funds from the airport that could have been spent on better projects within Luton. Like the scout movement in Luton? Like the scout movement, like social housing. There are lots of calls on this council's funding that could have been funded and the money has been diverted. And they've played political kick around here and it doesn't solve the problems and if the public were watching it, they'd be shocked and horrified to see how it was. Luton Borough Council say that despite poor ticket sales, over 60,000 people attended the whole weekend. It was a very family-friendly event with a fantastic atmosphere and it put Luton on the map. They deny they have any plans, however, to stage something similar next year. Sophie, thank you very much. We may speak to you later on about this. Uh, And Hazel Simmons is coming on the show later on. So if you are... I'm guessing you have an opinion on this. £400,000... They're trying to kind of say, well, it's only £100,000 because we self-insured for £300,000. Well, hang on, that's your, self-insurance means you're still paying for it. And I don't get this thing that the money is coming from the airport. Because that money would have come anyway, wouldn't it? So it's still money being spent that could have gone elsewhere. Hazel Simmons will be on the show after 8 o'clock. If you've got one question that you would like to ask her, one question, could you give me a call? I can't guarantee we'll put all of them to her, but we'll definitely pick the best questions that we get from you uh, and make sure that she is asked those. So, one question to Hazel Simmons, the leader of Luton Borough Council, 08459 455 555. You can also text in as well. 400 grand, it's a nice bit of money, isn't it? What would you spend it on? If you could spend it on anything... What would you spend four hundred thousand pounds on? Eight one three double three. Start your text three CR. This is going to be interesting. I'm looking forward to speaking to her. Hey, and if you went and you loved it and you thought it was a great thing and money well spent, then do give me a call. Keen to get your opinion on this. Here's Gallagher and Lyle. Right, I, I love this song. I've not heard this song for about. 
30 years. Okay. I never knew it was Gallagher and Lyle. I always thought, this is, and I'm going to be honest with you, I think we can be honest in this forum, I always thought Gallagher and Lyle was like an Irish folk group. Who am I thinking of? I'm thinking of someone with a similar name, aren't I? I don't know who. <laughs> I've made myself laugh at how stupid I am. <laughs> I genuinely... Oh, an Irish folk group coming on. Yeah, good morning to listeners. This is Ian Lee on BBC <laughs> Three Counties. It's 6.14 on Wednesday, the 12th of September. These are your headlines on BBC Three Counties Radio. Previously unseen documents about the Hillsborough Stadium disaster are to be released to the public. The families will see them first. Luton residents won't be covering losses made by this summer's Love Luton Festival. The shortfall will be covered by money from the council-owned London Luton Airport. In sport, Stephen Gerrard earned his first red card in 98 caps last night during England's one-all draw with Ukraine at Wembley. We'll have a weather bulletin in a few minutes. And coming up after half past six, we'll hear from our sports reporter, Luke Ashmead, who has been finding out about Hertfordshire's Lee Valley Whitewater centre plans for the future. BBC Three Counties Radio. I'm a little bit croaky because last night I spent an inordinate amount of time singing um, Islands in the Stream with my friend Spencer. It sounded good. We worked out a really nice harmony to it, but it was a little bit high for me. So I'm losing my voice. The reason I flagged this up is Heartbreaker. That was written by the Bee Gees, wasn't it? Or did I dream that? It's Dion Warwick. You pronounce the second R. It's, it's, a, it's not a, an invisible R. W. W. It's too early in the morning. I'll tell you what. The coming in this morning, <clears throat> I've been spoiled coming in recently because it's still been a little bit summery a bit warm the morning's been quite pleasant this morning it was flipping cold it was like winter it's like oh this is what this job's gonna be like is it over winter i don't know if i can do it to be honest <laughs> seriously i got up and i went, walked out of the house like oh dear i don't think i can i can keep <laughs> doing this good morning this is ian lee on bbc three counties radio uh, we're talking love luton this morning as there was a big council meeting last night to address the uh, overspend um, and Hazel Simmons, the council leader, is coming on the show this morning. There are two two points here. First of all, have you got a question for Hazel Simmons? If you have, can you give me a call? We want one question from each of you. I can't guarantee we'll put them all to her, but we'll certainly pick the best two or three and make sure she gets them. So if you've got one thing you want to ask her about the Love Luton Festival, let's, let's make it uh, slightly specific. Then 08459 455 555. 08459 455 555. And with this £400,000 overspend, what would you spend 400 grand on? It'd be nice, wouldn't it? It'd be wonderful. You can text me on that 81333, starting your text. 3CR. I also need a little bit of help, and I'll go into more detail later on, but Strictly Come Dancing is starting this Saturday. We're going to kind of mention it every, every Monday. It'll be churlish not to. Very popular. Uh, some of the stars have been announced, including uh, Victoria Pendleton is going to be in there. Fantastic picture of her in one of the newspapers today. We're looking... The thing is, I don't know a lot about Strictly Come Dancing. I've, I've seen it. I will struggle to talk about it in depth. So we're looking for a couple of regular correspondents to come on, maybe every week, to talk about it but i want them to be under 10 that's the decision i made i want them to be under 10 so just have a think have a look around you maybe there's an under 10 year old sitting next to you if you think they'd be any good give us a call a bit later on 
Oh, wait, 459. 455. 555. So with the Love Luton Festival uh, costing over £400,000 extra, what would you spend 400 grand on? David Luton's calling. Good morning, Dave. Good morning. Dave, what would you spend that money on? I'd buy three little houses miles away from Luton and move out with my family and I. <laughs> Why three houses, Dave? Well, I've got my two, uh, two families. Lovely. Oh. My two sons. Yeah. And, and me, me and my wife. Why would you move out of Luton? <laughs> well, I'll cut the story very short. Oh. I live in an area... Over the last six months, we've had two murders, oh, one one knife and one gun attack. Oh dear! And the situation is it's going to get worse over the over these two stories. And plus the fact, Luton at the moment, you know, you driving into Luton, it's a shambles with this. Well, I won't I won't swear, but this busway, oh, no one can work out what this this busway because who's going to go on that bus? Constantly all day yeah. from Luton to bed uh, to Dunstable, Elton Regis. Uh, what's the bus is going to be all packed for what? Dave, can but, I ask you? Can I ask you a question? Yeah. Do you love Luton? I used to because I'm a Lutonian, but not anymore. Used to, no. And uh, well, when Hazel Simmons comes on, yep. Uh, the question I would like to ask you is not relating actually to this four hundred pound loss. But why all the carnage in Luton on the carnival, etc., etc.? Why don't they hold it all up Stockwood Park, where there's plenty of parking, and there won't be all this commotion in Luton in the town centre? Why don't they hold it all at, at uh, Stockwood Park because it's big enough? to hold about nine football pitches up there. Dave, listen, thank you very much. We'll put that on our list. Hazel Simmons is coming on the show this morning. Two points. What would you spend £400,000 on? Dave would spend it on moving out of Luton. Wow. Uh, and have you got a question for Hazel Simmons? Oh, wait, four five nine four double five five double five. Now, the latest unemployment figures are out this morning, and recently the stats have shown a fall in the number of people out of work. Just to give you an idea, the latest figures for July show nearly 3,500 people were claiming job seekers' allowance uh, in Milton Keynes South. In Stevenage, it was 2,300 and 3,600 in Luton South. Clearly, the population of an area needs to be taken into account, but what's on offer to help people back into work? Our reporter, Jessica Cooper, has been along to a jobs club in the Bean Hill area of Milton Keynes, where she met Roy Pickford. He's 50 and was made redundant last year after being in the same job for 15 years. You put where, uh, what job you're looking for, mm-hmm. what area? I go to a few different job, job clubs every week, and this one I come to on a Tuesday. Just to look on the internet, because I haven't got no um, access to it personally, so basically I just use a few job clubs every week to have a look, see what's going. And um, what are you looking at here today? You've got a job up in front of you, what's this one? It's, uh, it's a warehouse job, I got made redundant last year, but uh, my area of expertise for what it's worth is warehouse work, so... That's basically what I put up on the screen, see what's going. And when you come here, what kind of support do you get for, for looking for work? They help you with your CV. Before I came here, I didn't have one. I mean, I'm not very good on the computer, to be honest, so that's what I'm... They're also helping me with that. They do a basic course. They give me a lot of confidence to do that. Very uh, hard after sort of like being in one job for 15 years to look again. It's sort of like starting all over again, so... But also through these people that um, I've done um, a couple of uh, little courses on interview uh, techniques and telephone manners and things like that so through this 
they've sort of helped me with that. How do you think your situation is similar to other people you know in Milton Keynes? Are they finding themselves out of work for the first time in, in years? Yes, yes, I've, I've, quite a few people. <laughs> it's a bit of a shock to the system, <laughs> big shock. I mean, to be honest, I mean, the job I was in, I was in for 15 years, and I think you you get comfortable, and I really thought that I'd fall out of work and fall back into work, mm. even with the figures and things going on, but it, it's getting, it's harder, and I feel that also because of my age, that it narrows it down a little bit as well, which is why I've, through the job club, that I'm doing English maths, and I'm trying to get on an IT course, to try, maybe look at something, doing something different. It has been a lot tougher than I thought. I've been doing online learning, I've been looking for work. How do you find it then, having access to somewhere like this? Oh, it's invaluable, absolutely. I couldn't do any of this if I didn't come here and if I didn't have Stella's tutelage. I'm Stella O'Neill and I'm the ICT coordinator. Sometimes they're they're referred from the job centre or they just come on their own accord and people come along, they can access um, the internet to search for work. The job figures are are due out again and whenever they come out each month, I mean they've been going down a bit recently but obviously they're just statistics. What do you see on the uh, the front line as such with the the situation with jobs? Is it as bad as, as it's made out to be? People say the job seems to be going down there isn't so much choice I think we can all see that as well in the local paper whereas there used to be pages and pages now I think it was last week there was only two pages of, of, of jobs so there does seem to be a decrease in, in the availability of work Jessica Cooper there and in, in the next hour of the programme we'll be finding out more about the help available in Milton Keynes to get people back into work 08459 455555 Oh there we go Buddy Holly that was a nice little treat wasn't it Across beds, hearts and bucks, this is Ian Lee on BBC Three Counties Radio. Morning. Plenty on the show this morning. We're talking about Love Luton. What would you spend £400,000 on? Well, Dave would spend it on moving out of Luton. And what would you like me to ask Hazel Simmons, the uh, leader of Luton Borough Council? She'll be on the show a bit later on. 08459 455 555. We're also looking for children under 10 to review Strictly Come Dancing for us. More on that later on. Don't forget you can get in touch uh, any time during this show about anything we're talking about. 08459 455 555 You can text 81333 starting your text 3CR Now, let's get a little bit more on the news from Libya this morning where we're hearing that an American official has been killed at the US consulate in the city of Benghazi The compound was set on fire by gunmen in protest at a film circulating on the internet which demonstrators claim humiliates the Prophet Muhammad. Just hours before the attack, the same film also triggered protests in Egypt. Our reporter Gavin Lee is following events there and joins us now. Morning, Gavin. Morning, Ian. Is it clear what happened? Well, certainly in Egypt, I think it's a bit clearer at the moment because there was a huge demonstration started sort of late afternoon yesterday in Cairo that went on through the night. It's calmed down a little bit now. We're talking about thousands of people outside the US embassy. Now, from experience of, of covering the, um, the Arab Spring last year, it, very, things very quickly kick off very suddenly in, in Cairo. It can be a small thing, you know, and something that's, you know, we're not talking about a, a big budget film here. This is as a homemade film on appearances, this, this anti Muslim, anti Islamic film that's been made that 
has led to thousands of people. They've burnt the U.S. flag. Um, that's they've now been moved away by Egyptian security forces. But in Libya, now it, it seems to be a mirror demonstration. But there's a number of other things at play. The new prime minister will be is likely to be announced today, and there's a you know, big movement to try and destabilise that. Certainly in Tripoli as well. And it was the the anniversary yesterday of 9/11. So you know, sentiment and feelings were uh, appear to be running high. But what I've been told is that a number of demonstrators, probably about a hundred or so, outside the U.S. embassy in Benghazi, the second city, um, they started to fire into the compound with AK-47s, a number of demonstrators. Two grenades were thrown over the gates, an explosion triggered the fire, and we're not clear yet, as, and the U.S. embassy haven't said, whether it was a U.S. security guard or a diplomat that was killed, another worker's been injured, and there's been a brief statement from Hillary Clinton, the Secretary of State, to deplore uh, the any intentional effort, she said, to denigrate religious beliefs, but she's added that there was never any justification for, for such violence. Americans want to say something bad about Prophet Muhammad. Prophet Muhammad, la ilaha Muhammad Rasulullah, I am speaking in English now to them. So don't make our people angry, because they will kill, they will fight, they will do such a situation. This is the situation because of the Americans' channels. They want to say something bad about our Prophet. Well, they're obviously furious about this. What more is known about the film, Gavin? Well, what, I think the reason it started in Egypt, because one of the people involved in producing it is said to be, and this is coming from the, the States, this, this film, homemade propaganda film, uh, an e- Egyptian anti-Muslim Coptic Christian, and another said to be involved is a, is a controversial American pastor. So it's a, a small film, it's gone viral on the internet. In fact, it's not easy to see, because I haven't seen it yet. A number of other uh, people I've been speaking to, reporters and correspondents in the US as well, haven't managed to, to see it. It's said to be in Arabic too and sort of depicts the Prophet Muhammad in, in extremely bad light. I mean there are questions actually by the Egyptian authorities as well as to how many people involved in the protest have actually seen it and how many are involved with that context of the movie and how small it is so it's, it's quite enigmatic at the moment but it has you know evoked clearly a massive response and reaction. I, I heard that the, the controversial American priest is that guy Terry Jones not the python but the, the guy that's just seems to be causing trouble. Is, is, is that the right the name? The priest that, but yeah, that burnt the Quran um, a year ago that that had that big sort of build-up ceremony to it. I mean, ultimately, it's you know, it, it's something that he managed to garner attention for mm. last time and get a big response all over the Arab world. This time, I think, because of of the dates, that's also um, been extremely sensitive. But it's as I say, it's not something that, that's easy to find. It's something that has to be be searched out, and you know, it, it appears to show him at uh, the Prophet Muhammad that is in a, in a comical and insulting way. Uh, Gavin, you covered the conflict in Libya from there uh, for this programme last year. It's almost a year since Colonel Gaddafi was killed. What's the general picture there now? I think there are the two points. I mean, basically, when Gaddafi was killed, you're talking about a civil society that completely broke down the whole country. And, and you know, I, I witnessed being mainly in Benghazi. I spent some time in Misrata as well. But just you know, everything starting from scratch. A police force just you know, disappeared. All of a sudden, those who had supported Colonel Gaddafi had disappeared from the force altogether. Corruption was and still is huge there. Mm. And the two biggest issues are health and uh, weapons. Weapons, there's about six million people in Libya. Uh, estimated in terms of the weaponry available on the streets by various human rights groups, 10 million, so more than one, you know, essentially per person. Uh, and, and it is, you literally see people all over the streets with AK-47s. The second thing is, is health service. So many hospitals are run by militias and the government, the new government, hasn't taken control of them. That's something the Prime Minister, when he is announced today, is likely to, to address straight away. Gavin, thank you very much there, Gavin Lee, reporting uh, on situations in Libya and Egypt. This is Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio, 6.37. Oh, I've not heard this for a while. Mustang Sally. Ha-ha! There we go. 
Ah, it's one of those mornings, isn't it? It's one of those mornings. I had the worst night's sleep ever, so I'm functioning on what I like to call idiot level. That was uh, from The Commitments. That was Mustang Sally. It was a whole uh, one minute and 20 seconds of it, which is superb. <laughs> Shall we look at the front page of the newspaper? It, it, it's, it's all downhill from here. No, hang on, that's no good either, is it? Right, front page of the paper. The uh, Guardian questions over minister's link, links to his advisor. Civil servants' fears over consultants' influence on Greg Barker revealed. A government minister has become embroiled in questions over his relationship with an advisor after meeting corporate clients of her private consultancy. And here's an interesting thing as well. Uh, the, is the iPhone 5 smart enough to boost the US economy? It gets announced. Is it today, the new iPhone? phone gets announced i think it might be and i think it's available from next week i'm kind of excited i've i've been sitting on my iphone 3g 3g not 3gs for like two years i'm out of contract i'm cruising i'm ready to upgrade i'm very excited by the prospect of it the daily telegraph clegg in gay marriage bigots row he attacks opponents of same-sex unions then hastily withdraws speech amid angry backlash now this is interesting isn't it nick clegg was last night embroiled into in an embarrassing row over homosexual marriage after issuing a statement denouncing opponents of the coalition's plans for same-sex unions as bigots it's interesting. I was saying this yesterday. We had um, a politician on. The very few politicians these days seem able to g- kind of speak out and, and be, you know, lone voices. Everyone is towing a lot of pot- party lines. <clears throat> the Times. Very impressive picture of uh, Andy Murray. Um, holding his trophy and looking very cool. Hobnobs and Iron Brew as Murray celebrates US victory. And also Army put on strike alert. Cameron plans to deploy soldiers as cover. Soldiers will be deployed as strike breakers during national walkouts of public sector workers under plans being drawn up by David Cameron. There's talk of a general strike, kids. These is dark days ahead of us. Uh, Andy Murray's on the front page of everything, isn't he? Look, uh, on the Independent, the Andy Murray story. Also, and this is uh, big news today, and big news tomorrow, Hillsborough Police did doctor evidence in bid to avoid blame. We're talking about this a bit later on today, uh, and we'll cover it in more detail tomorrow, because uh, it's going to be interesting. I think the document is something like 400,000 pages. It's, it's, it's a lot to sift through. Daily Mirror, Andy Murray. Oh, I see what they did there. That was clever. US Open tennis hero is set to wed Kim. He'll net one hundred million pounds after historic win. The Sun, Andy, what's this? One p to one hundred million pounds. Tennis ace Andy Murray yesterday revealed he won the U.S. Open by giving himself a pep talk while having a pee. We've all done that, haven't we? <laughs> We've all done that, haven't we? I would suspect it was also down to him being really good at tennis. I don't think just talking to yourself whilst having a wee is necessarily going to do it. Daily Mail. Fury over Clegg bigot slur on gay marriage opponents. Nick Clegg was embroiled in a massive row last night after branding opponents of gay marriage bigots. And there's a picture of uh, uh, Kate uh, in um, the Far East. I think they're doing a tour of Singapore, that lot, aren't they? And the Daily Express, migrants make mugs of us all. Family of nine target Britain and get house and benefit in three weeks. A Bulgarian family of nine who targeted Britain's soft welfare system have been given a council house just three weeks after arriving here. Uh, And more on uh, Andy Murray set to net. There's nets in tennis, you see. £100 million. 
Good morning, it's Wednesday the 12th of September. These are the headlines this morning on BBC Three Counties Radio. The families of those who died in the Hillsborough Stadium disaster will be among the first to read the new report into what happened. Luton Borough Council say the shortfall from this year's Love Luton Festival will come from London Luton Airport rather than taxpayers. In sport, cricketer Kevin Peterson's met the England management team in a bid to get back in the 2020 squad. They're set to leave for Sri Lanka tomorrow. Your weather across beds, hearts and bucks. Bright to start this morning, but the cloud will build, bringing rain. Top temperature is 17 degrees. And coming up, after seven, is it wrong to have CCTV in schools? A privacy pressure group says CCTV cameras are being used as a quick fix to much more complex problems and issues. In our region, get this, there are over 7,000 cameras in schools with 144 in bathrooms and toilets. BBC Three Counties Radio. Now, families of those who lost their lives in the Hillsborough disaster will be allowed to see secret government and police papers on the tragedy for the first time this morning. They'll be given access to more than 400,000 pages of documents from more than 80 organisations. 96 Liverpool fans died in the disaster, which happened shortly after 3pm on Saturday, April the 15th in 1989. Five Lives' Nick Garnett is at Liverpool Anglican Cathedral, where the families will get to see the report. Good morning, Nick. Good morning. Nick, explain how we've got to this point. It's been a long battle for the families, hasn't it? A huge battle, lasting 8,551 days, 23 and a half years. Um, you know, Hillsborough was supposed to be a great day for both football sets of football fans. Nottingham Forest against Liverpool, the FA Cup semi-final. Um, and it didn't turn out like that, uh, because... Of a number of things, but one of the key ones being an inexperienced police officer being in charge of the game. Although there were more than 1,500 police and stewards on duty, hardly any of them seemed to be organising fans outside the ground. There, were, there was a crush outside the ground. A decision was taken uh, to open an exit gate and allow fans in. Uh, that led to a crush inside the ground, and by... The, the authorities say at the moment, by six minutes past three, uh, 96 football fans uh, were dead, 700 were injured. Now, since then, there has been a huge number of official hearings uh, and... Uh, and criminal proceedings, or attempted criminal proceedings. There's been a Home Office inquiry. Now, that uh, report, the Taylor report, came out just 16 weeks after the, um, the disaster happened. There was a criminal investigation by West Midlands Police to see if there was enough evidence to, to, to take criminal proceedings against anyone. They found that there wasn't. There were inquests that were very, very contentious uh, to the families of those who died. There were compensation claims. There, were, there was a judicial review of the inquests, which still held in favour of the uh, the coroner at the time and that the, 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 the inquests could not be reopened. There was a judicial scrutiny to make sure there would be no new evidence found. That went against the, the family's point of view. There was a private prosecution brought by the families of two senior police officers. That failed. And a submission to the European Court of Human Rights to try and get the verdicts of the inquests overturned also failed. The only one of those that didn't completely disappoint the families was the very first, the Taylor Report, 16 weeks after the disaster happened. So for 23 years, the families have wanted to try and find out what else was known and what else happened. And today they hope they'll find those answers. You just can't even begin to imagine how frustrating this must be for the families. Uh, have we got any clues as to what we might expect to learn from the release of these files? 
Um, what we do know is the questions that the panel are answering. Uh, these came from the relatives of those who died and the, the various campaign groups that have been set up. They want to know things like why was Hillsborough allowed in the first place to stage a game that was simply just too big for such a small ground? Mm. Why did it go ahead when Hillsborough didn't actually have, at that time, a safety certificate? Why did Liverpool get the smaller end of the ground? You know, at, at, at Hillsborough there, is the, there are two ends of the ground where, where the opposing fans go. The Liverpool end had 23 turnstiles. The, the Nottingham Forest End, which had fewer fans and fewer space, had 60 turnstiles. Wow. So you were trying to get more fans through half as many turnstiles. Why was the kickoff not delayed? They want to know. Should there have been separate inquests, not a group one? And why did only one ambulance get onto the pitch? Now, what these questions show you is that they are interested in very specific things. Mm very small little details that 23 years on have never ever been answered and they say it's because of the cloak of secrecy that surrounded everything to do with Hillsborough. Nick, I'm, I was going to ask, is this going to bring closure for the families but I, I'm guessing it's not, is it? I don't think it can. I think it depends. I think it depends on what is, uh, what is found. Uh, I think that if uh, the, the panel comes back with a, a, a scapegoat, as it were, as, as it is, a, uh, somebody who was ultimately responsible, then I think that that would help the mm. families. But I don't think that that's going to happen. When you look at what, is, what has gone on, uh, although the families may disagree with the, the number of legal proceedings that have taken place... Uh, they have been legal proceedings and they have been carried out in a fair and, uh, and just manner. Um, so there is a very real chance that the families won't be entirely happy with mm. today. There are some evidence, some documents that the, the, the panel haven't been given access to and that they can't publish. Things that include uh, names of any, any police officer, for instance, who's under the rank of sergeant and not being released. Documents that have been le party of legal proceedings can't be released. Anything to do with medical records of personal uh, of the people that were involved can't be released. And also, uh, some documents relating to the government, although the documents may be released, the personal views of ministers, if they disagreed with what the cabinet said at the time, they can't be released either. So it's going to be a real question as to whether the panel can convince the families that they have had everything that they're ever going to get about the Hillsborough disaster. Nick, very quickly, how does it work today? What's the, what's the process? It's very complicated. The families are being given uh, access to the documents this morning and then at 12.30, after Prime Minister's questions, the Prime Minister or the Home Secretary will stand up and make a statement to the House and take questions from, from MPs. After that, the panel will officially release their, their report and give a news conference and after that, uh, the families will give their response to it. So it's going to be a long day for the families uh, who are all coming to Liverpool Cathedral and will be in here throughout the day. Nick, thank you very much for your time. It's much appreciated. Five Lives, Nick Garnett, who's at the Liverpool Anglican Cathedral, where the families of those involved in the Hillsborough disaster will get to see this 400,000-page report. It's just incredible, isn't it? 08459 four double five five double five. Speak to you after this. Christina Train. Christina Train, dream of me. We like that, we've decided. There's the official Ian Lee Show thumbs up which is very, very important these days in the world of popular music. Now, the stars of this year's Strictly Come Dancing were unveiled in all their sequined glory at a red carpet launch last night. One of the contestants, the Olympic cycling gold medalist from Bedfordshire, Victoria Pendleton, explained why she'd agreed to take part. I've always wanted to be able to dance. I've never really had a dance. 
up. It's so different from what I'm used to. Um, I just thought, why not give it a try? And also, it pays quite well, I've been told. I think that may be another thing. It pays quite well, and it's not a bad good... It's not a bad you know, sort of TV career kickstarter. Victoria Pendleton, uh, who's going to be on Strictly Come Dancing. Also, Johnny Ball, Fern Britton and Jerry Hall are among the 14 celebrities taking part in Strictly this year. I wouldn't mind doing a bit of Strictly. Never been asked. Never will get asked. It would be fun. Victoria's right there, isn't it? I'm being slightly flippant. It would be fun to learn proper dancing and be able to do it. But then who would you do it with? My wife and I very nearly took um, ballroom dancing lessons, and then we had a baby. So we don't go out anymore, so it will be pointless having those skills. But listen, we are going to be talking about Strictly Come Dancing over the next few weeks as it progresses, because I know a lot of you uh, like it and enjoy it. The thing is, I don't know anything about it, never really watched it before, and I, I don't know if I'll be able to catch all of them. So I am looking for two correspondents to come on the show on a regular basis they can do it, uh, to talk about the show each Monday morning. The thing is, I, I, I want under 10s. I just think it'd be a bit more interesting if we get a boy and a girl under the age of 10 to come on every Monday morning and talk to me about that weekend Strictly Come Dancing. So, what do you reckon? Could your kids do it? Maybe your grandchild could do it? You think, oh yes, they'd be quite good at coming on. They're under the age of 10. They could come on every week and talk about Strictly. This is a genuine offer. We want two people, a boy and a girl ideally, under the age of 10 to come on every week and talk about Strictly Come Dancing. Hmm. Could you give us a call this morning? Especially if you've got the kids there with you now. 08459 455 555. 08459 455 555. Or you can text in 81333. You can start your text with 3CR. Uh, and we will get you on air this morning. And we'll just have a little road test to see, you know, if you're kind of good enough for us. We've got very, as you noted this morning from the uh, slick way I've been handling and uh, driving this show, we have very, very high standards here at BBC Three Counties Radio. <laughs> 08459 455 555. We're looking for two under 10s to be this show's regular Strictly Come Dancing correspondence. Can you help? Good morning, this is Ian Lee on BBC Three Counties Radio. Plenty coming up in the next two hours. More on Love Luton. What's your question that you would ask the leader of Luton Borough Council? We'll find out that and more after the news with Catherine Boyle. It's three minutes past seven on Wednesday the 12th of September. This is Ian Lee on BBC Three Counties Radio. Lots and lots of stuff coming up in the next two hours of the show, including we're talking about Love Luton. We're going to have Hazel Simmons, the leader of Luton Borough Council, coming on the show. Have you got a question for her about the Love Luton Festival? If you have, 08459 455 555. Also... They overspent by £400,000. What would you spend £400,000 on? We're also be talking about CCTV cameras in schools. And I'm looking for two 10-year-olds or under to become this show's official Strictly Come Dancing correspondent. 08459 455 555. You can text as well. Start your text 81333. Start at 3CR. We maybe speak to you in a second. BBC Three Counties Radio. 
It's one of those days, dear listener. I'd, I'd keep listening because at some point in the next two hours, there's going to be a car crash on air. It's just one of those days where I can't speak properly. You know that you just get tongue-tied and the, the words are in my head, but my mouth is just off doing a completely, completely random thing. Anyway, Luton Borough Council says that the £400,000 loss from the Love Luton Festival will be met by income from the town's airport and not the taxpayer. However, opposition groups claim that taxpayers will still bear the cost. Councillors met last night in Luton uh, to discuss the event, which included the Olympic torch and the carnival, and how to make back the money. Our reporter Sophie Soleri has been following the story and joins me now. Sophie, what are the reasons given for the loss? They've put the loss down to poor ticket sales, Ian. Increased marketing costs as well, and the additional money needed for security uh, to manage Formula One star Lewis Hamilton carrying the torch through Luton, of mm. course. Something that Hazel said Simmons, Labour leader of the council, claims that she wasn't aware of. As for the ticket sales for the two concerts, the Wanted and Ollie Murs, of course, only 5,000 tickets were actually sold at full price in the end. That's a quarter of the amount that they actually needed in order to break even. The Labour group admits that they were ambitious, that they wanted to promote the town with very good intention, but they do regret that tickets were not sold in the end. So the money to make up the £400,000 shortfall is going to come from income from the airport, which the council owns. Mm. But it's all public money, though, isn't it? Yeah, well, because Hazel Simmons is claiming the money is being met by revenue from the airport, taxpayers won't have to pay. However, opposition groups say, of course, however you dress it up, it's still taxpayers' money, and it's money that could go to other projects. Mm. Projects such as the Scout Movement in Luton. We mention this because the council's proposing to increase the rent of St Augustine's Scout Group in the town from £150 a year to £8,000 a year. Wow. Peter Suthurst from the Scout Movement in Bedfordshire told our reporter Tony Fisher last night that it's just not fair when you consider the amount of lo- um, lost from the festival. £8,000 is peanuts against the 390-odd thousand that they've lost. As a result of the F- Luton Festival? Yes. So do you think some of that money uh, is coming from the airport? Could that money not go towards uh, the Scout groups in Luton? Yes, it could, Definitely. Yes, there's all sorts of ways in which they can, uh, you know, consider this. They've got a a shortfall in in their budget, not just of the um, festival, but other things as well. And um, they're they're scraping the barrel. The barrel is, in fact, the scouting. Well, Uh, they they blame government cuts in funding. uh, Well, they would. Council are now saying that the festival brought a lot of business to the area, aren't they? Yes, they they did say this. Uh, So this morning we sent our reporter Jenna Benson off to speak to local businesses in the area to see if they had indeed had a boost to their business. Shafiq, you're a taxi driver in Luton. Now, do you think that the Love Luton Festival has boosted the economy of Luton? Has it done anything good for businesses? Not now. We are really suffering from the over-business point of view. There is no, no work at all. And what well, I think that has been uh, really bad for economy. Mm. And what does this mean for you and your job? Yeah, yes. I, I'm thinking to give up, to be honest. I'm thinking to give up the taxi to, to find something else to look after my family, my kids. So in your opinion, the Love Luton Festival hasn't done anything to boost the local economy? Not any positive thing, no. Andy, you own the Sandwich Bar in Park Street and you've been here for over 30 years. What were your thoughts on the Love Luton Festival? Do you think that it has done anything to boost businesses and the local economy? Um, not down this end of town. We're a little bit further away, so maybe it did 
a little bit, but not for me. I mean, we didn't see any change of trade or any uh, increase there, although everybody was talking about it. I don't think many people, certainly not many people I know, went down there. Were your hopes that having this big festival in town, this big celebration, the idea of Love Luton would make a change to you and your business? Uh, it, it sounds good for Luton, it sounds good for the business, but um, I think it was a lot of... Financially, it wasn't a success for me, but maybe for other people, but uh, just for a few sandwiches, perhaps not. And in general, how is business going for you at the moment? We, With the um, Bedfordshire University and that, we're doing very well. It's, it's, we're looking forward to a lot of students coming in this week, next week. Um, and with all the building that's been going on there, we've done done quite well. And speaking to other business people in the town or walking through the town, have you seen a big change? Um, I, I'm so busy I don't go downtown a lot, so there we are. Well, Luton Council are saying now that despite poor ticket sales, over 60,000 people attended the overall event. Um, it was a very friendly at- atmosphere, they say, for family and friends, um, and it put Luton on the map. However, they deny that any plans to stage something next year are in the pipeline. Uh, if, you, if you think it was a great event and it was money well spent, dear listener, can you give us a call? Because I, I'm aware that this is starting to sound a little bit one-sided mm. and let's go uh, for Luton Borough Council. Uh, if you really enjoyed it as a, a taxpayer in Luton and you think, yes, that £400,000 was well spent, it was a great weekend, it's been a great achievement for Luton, I think Luton has always been on the map. That's how I found this place. Uh, but if you really think it's, it's boosted Luton, 08459 455 555. Because I don't want this to sound kind of uh, too one-sided, and I'm aware that this might do. Uh, it's, it's particularly now as we speak to Lib Dem councillor Martin Pantling, who was at the meeting. Morning, Martin. Good morning, Ian. Now, you um, popped into us yesterday, didn't you? I did indeed. Uh, and you told us you had a question. You wouldn't reveal what the question was. Can you tell us what your question was now? I can. Well, what I wanted to ask the council leader about, and what I did ask the council leader about in the end, uh, is the threat that we had that the torch wouldn't come to Luton at all. Um, Because on the very eve of the torch relay itself arriving, which was the whole focus of the event, the whole focus of the festival, LOCOG were telling the council that they might not bring the torch at all unless some major changes were made on the site. Um, The site was waterlogged in Pope's Meadow. Um, There were all kinds of problems with staging. There were all kinds of problems with the layout of the site. um, And people had to be up all night and all hours. And the council staff worked very, very hard on this, quite rightly, to keep that torch coming here. Um, But there there was this this question as to whether the pop concerts themselves and the loss that they made, whether they actually posed a threat to the torch itself coming. So I asked her about that. And, And what response did you get? Well, she kind of very mutely acknowledged that, in fact, that those discussions had happened with LOCOG and that they were concerned that the torch nearly didn't come, and that wasn't the report. Um, she didn't say too much more about that, but frantic negotiations and discussions were going on on the eve of the, uh, the torch arriving and right up to the time. And I think it's just a bit of a worry that it takes the focus again off the, you know, what should have been a wonderful uh, torch arrival celebration. The rest of the festival was great. There was the carnival's fun, the mellow's fun. I think a lot of people uh, value that very much indeed. But to put at risk the torch itself coming, I think, was just something that, in hindsight, I hope would never happen again. Martin, this £400,000 that's coming from the airport, am I right in thinking that they would have got that £400,000 anyway? So it is public money that's being spent? Yes, you're absolutely right. That's money that can be going from uh, services. I mean, it's, it's a little bit difficult. It's actually down to the independent airport board to decide uh, to what extent they help the council funding. But it is council-owned, in a sense, the airport. The board's membership is made up of councillors. Uh, and usually they've been amenable to funding a number of council projects. 
That money tends to come through through the year anyway, whether it's paid as a special dividend with Love Luton written on it, or whether it's coming through for services. It's still taxpayers' money. It's still £400,000 down the drain. Martin, listen, thank you very much. That's uh, Lib Dem councillor Martin Pantling, who was at last night's meeting. Did you go? I know some of you did. Uh, what did you make of it? Were you satisfied with the answers? Hazel Simmons, the uh, Luton Borough Council leader, is coming on the show after 8 o'clock. If you've got a question for her about the Love Luton Festival, some of you are texting in uh, uh, other questions that, um, that we, we want specifically about Love Luton and the £400,000. If you've got any questions for her, could you give me a call? 08459 455 555. We're also asking, four hundred grand. you have got it, what would you spend it on? 81333, start your text, 3CR. Uh, David in Luton said, uh, oh, uh, we've done that. Yes, he was, Dave was uh, the gentleman who would move out of Luton not particularly happy with it so he'd, he'd buy a couple of houses for him and his family and get out uh scott humphrey would buy a house uh, for him and his girlfriend and her kids but i think he would do it in luton if that's where he's from what would you do you got four hundred thousand pounds how would you spend it how could it, what would you do with it be nice wouldn't it also we are looking for some strictly come dancing correspondence for this show the series starts this weekend uh, you know I, I will cast an eye over it my wife watches it, right? But she only watches the judges' bits. She fast-forwards through the dances. She doesn't want to watch the dances. She just wants to watch the bit where the judges, you know, tell them off. <laughs> That's all she likes. Which is odd, isn't it? Because you're supposed to be watching the beautiful dresses and the dancing and things like that. But we're looking for two Strictly Come Dancing correspondents under the age of ten, please. Be a regular gig. There's no money in it. It's just the glory of being the Ian Lee Strictly Come Dancing correspondent on BBC Three Counties Radio. And what a lot of glory that carries, doesn't it? 08459 455 555 or text 81333, starting your text 3CR. Maybe you're a mum or a dad or a grandparent and you think, oh, do you know what? My kids would be good at that. Let's get them on the wireless. 08459 455 555. Is the telephone number. I think we could have a little bit of fun with that. It's 7.15, it's Wednesday the 12th of September. These are your headlines this morning on BBC Three Counties Radio. 23 years after the Hillsborough disaster, families of the 96 Liverpool fans who died are to find out more about what happened in a new report released later today. Luton residents won't be covering losses made by this summer's Love Luton Festival. The shortfall will be covered by money from the council-owned London Luton Airport. In sport, Stephen Gerrard earned his first red card in 98 caps last night during England's one-all draw with Ukraine at Wembley. We'll have a full weather bulletin in a few minutes with Steve Weston. And coming up after 7.30, are you one of the 2.5 million people out of work at the moment? We'll be speaking to an assistant employment supporter for Milton Keynes about Milton Keynes Council and its adult continuing education programme. BBC Three Counties Radio. This is why I love uh, this, this job and this kind of show, because I ask you for something... And you give me something. We are looking for two Strictly Come Dancing correspondents, uh, a boy and a girl, under the age of ten, ten or under, please, to come on every Monday morning and give us your views of the, that weekend show. Now, I put this out there, and we, we're still taking calls, 08459 455 555. And we got a call from uh, Emma and Grace in Stevenage. Morning, Emma. Morning, Grace. Morning. Morning, Emma. Now, I, I'm guessing, Emma, that you're the mum. 
I'm the mum, yes. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I, I might sound very young, but no, I'm the mum. Well, you don't sound that young. Uh, no, no, I didn't mean that. I came out wrong. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> Emma. <laughs> yes. Well, Grace, we'll get to you. Well, yes, shush, Grace. We'll get to you in a second. Emma. Uh, uh, first of all, tell us a little bit about yourself. Whereabouts are you from? We're from Stevenage in Hertfordshire. Lovely. And are you and your family normally fans of Strictly Come Dancing? Me and my daughter are absolutely obsessed with it. We watch it every year. I've got to ask. And we, we argue over who's doing the best as well. Oh, okay. Are there any are there any men in your household? Oh, I have two. Okay. Are these are these sons? Are these? Is this a husband? What? Who are they? This is a husband and a son. All right. I'm guessing they're not so keen on Strictly Come Dancing. No, we get sent to another room to watch it. <laughs> Do you have to go and watch the portable in the bedroom? Oh, yes. Oh. Well, we don't have portables. We have big screen TVs. Oh, look at you, Emma. <laughs> I like Emma already. So what, what are the boys watching, then, when you're watching Strictly? Anything to do with Speedway, football. Oh, my goodness gracious me, Emma. You're better off out in another room with them. <laughs> uh, and, Emma, are you a pushy showbiz mother? No. Okay. It's, it sounds hectic in your house. What, what on earth is going on in the background? Well, what's going on? I've got my son trying to beat up our his youngest sister, <laughs> who's, who's sitting on the sitting behind me on the sofa. Right. Can I speak? And to... my daughter's standing there, looking at herself in the mirror, pretending to be the next Kimberly Walsh. Oh my goodness! Can I speak to Grace, please? <laughs> you can. And, and tell the other kids to be quiet. <laughs> All right. I'll take them out. Hold on. Oh my goodness! It's sounding hellish in there. Grace. Yeah. Good morning, Grace. How are you? Good morning, I'm fine, thank you. Oh, I like the sound of you. Very well spoken and very polite. Grace, I need to ask you a few questions to see if you're suitable yeah. for this job. First of all, do you watch Strictly Come Dancing regularly? Uh, basically every series. Wow. <laughs> oh, you're, you're obsessed with it. How old are you, Grace? I'm ten. You're ten years old. And are you married? No. You're not married. Uh, have you got your eye on anybody? Maybe, but that's for me to know and you not to care. Ooh, Grace, I like this. I like this. I like this feisty attitude that you've got. What would you like to be, Grace, when you grow up? Uh, a lawyer or a rower, or Olympic rower. <laughs> a lawyer or a rower. You can do both. I know I can. Okay. Did, you, did you enjoy the Olympics? Yeah. What, what was your highlight of the Olympics? Uh... <laughs> the rowing. The rowing, yeah. I thought you might say that. And Grace, <laughs> I'm going to ask you a question now. I'm 39 years old. Do you consider that to be old, middle-aged, or actually quite young and cool? Quite young and cool. Yes, Grace, I like you. Grace, listen, you will be on our list. Are you able to come on every Monday if we do pick you? Yeah. Yeah, all right. You go and listen, go and stop your, your, the rest of your family having a punch-up. And we okay. may speak to you later on, Grace. Thank you very much. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, she was good. Grace was good. Grace was good. We may have just found our first. We may have just found our first. That's Grace and her mum, both in Stevenage. Um, possibly becoming uh, our Strictly Come Dancing correspondent. If Grace does get the gig, and, and let's be honest, she was good. She'd be a joy to speak to every morning. I like the feistiness. We could do with a boy as well. Even, here's the thing. Even if you're a boy that particularly doesn't... Not into that Strictly Come Dancing thing, but you're forced to watch it because your mum or your dad watches it each week. 08459 455 555 or text 81333. Start your text 3CR. Let's get the weather now with Steve Weston. Beds, hearts and bucks weather. BBC Three Counties Radio. Ah, Steve is not there. We may see if we can locate Steve and find out what's happening in the world. Whether he could be there. Steve, are you there now? Steve? 
Steve. Yeah, good morning. Steve, I came to you a little early, a little bit premature. Ah. Would you like to give us your weather, sir? I would indeed. Thank you very much. Uh, great weekend, I'll say that to begin with. Steve, thank you very much. Ah, Grace was good, wasn't she? Grace was good. We need a boy. Oh, wait, 459-455-555 to be our uh, Strictly Come Dancing correspondent. Now, campaigners claim that the amount of CCTV surveillance in school toilets and changing rooms raises serious questions about children's privacy. The Privacy Pressure Group, Big Brother Watch, says that in our region there are over 7,000 cameras in schools, with 144 in bathrooms and toilets. Cressex Community School in Buckinghamshire was in the report. The head teacher, David Hood, joins me now. Good morning, David. Good morning. Cressex has seven cameras, which the report says is higher than average. Is that right? We have, uh, actually more than that, we have seven camera. Uh, sorry, we have uh, one camera for every seven students. The reason wow. for that is that, yes, it sounds a lot. Um, we're a very uh, large building, a very new building, built under the Building Schools of the Future program, which opened two years ago, mm. and uh, a relatively small number of pupils in that building at the moment. So our ratio looks high and right. is higher than it will be in a few years' time. Whereabouts are the cameras placed? They're placed in public areas, so areas such as corridors, the, the school hall, and importantly, we have a lot of cameras outside the school building to make sure that we are secure uh, when the, the building isn't occupied. How, sorry, how many cameras in total is it? Do you know? Uh, I don't know exactly, I'm afraid. I think it's about 60. S- one six? Mm. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and uh, are there any... It, this report is saying that there are uh, cameras in uh, places where we may expect a bit of privacy, such as changing rooms and toilets. Have you got any there? That may be true in some schools, but it's not true here. Okay. And would, would, you, would you think that that's inappropriate? Because uh, kids need to have a bit of privacy, don't they? I think everybody needs privacy. That's absolutely right. Why have you got the cameras, David? Because this is a new thing to me. I, I, when I was at school, you kind of you did whatever you wanted to do, basically. Uh, why have you got cameras? Yeah, I think, uh, firstly, we're absolutely not unique. Uh, mm. Every school that I know has has cameras in it. What cameras do do is provide extra security, as I've already suggested. They provide security outside the building. Um, But we're also told in the surveys we undertake by students and parents that students feel secure in school as well. And what they do mean is that in areas which cannot be supervised at all times by teachers, if if an incident does occur, which is very rare, but if if it does, then we're able to get to the bottom of what's happened and and deal with it in an evidence-based way. So people feel they've, they've been dealt with fairly and we can deal with issues rapidly and effectively. Uh, the other thing to say is that we're, we're not keeping anybody un- under surveillance. We absolutely don't monitor the cameras in any sort of live way. Mm. Um, a recording is made, and the recording is extinguished very rapidly after the day it's passed. So you haven't got a guy sitting there watching the cameras all day? Absolutely not. OK, because the Big Brother Watch is saying that this is kind of doing the jobs that teachers should be doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, teachers are very busy people. Their first priority is to teach youngsters in lessons, um, and teachers need their free time too. And the other thing is, in a, a very large modern school, there are, there are many corridors and some nooks and crannies, and you can't keep your eye everywhere. So it would be the kind of thing that Johnny gets, claims he gets whacked by Stephen, and he goes, please, sir, I got whacked in this corridor at half past ten. You, you then go back and check the, the, the footage and see what actually happened. Exactly. Have you had any guidelines on camera use? Is there, is there kind of like a, a, an industry standard report on how you should be using these cameras? Yeah, I've never been provided with such a thing, but we've devised our own. um, And we have a very clear code as to who's allowed to look at the camera and actually it's two people in school, myself and one other colleague. Mm -hmm. Um, As I say, we don't don't monitor the cameras, we only ever look at recordings at specific times if something is alleged to have happened and we make sure that all the records are deleted very soon after the the day, after, after any day. And how often have you had to use this system, David? 
that's a good question. I think fewer than five times in the two years we've been in the school. Right, right. Do you think that this report by Big Brother Watch is just creating hysteria? I, I hope it's not creating hysteria. I think this is a very important thing to keep under review. Yeah. Um, I mean, we in school put a lot of uh, weight to civil rights and, and people's understanding of their own rights. And I think it's important that uh, we don't become a surveillance society, and that's why we have such tight regulations around the way we use this, this thing that we see as a tool. David, listen, thank you for your time. I always feel uncomfortable talking to teachers and using their first name. Isn't that funny? I'm nearly 40 years old, and it still makes me a little bit uncomfortable. But thank you very much for coming on. My pleasure. There thank we go. you very da- much. The thank head teacher, David Hood, um, from Cressex Community School in Buckinghamshire. Well, that sounds fairly sensible, doesn't it? That sounds like a sensible use of, of cameras. They're not in the toilets. They're not in the changing rooms. They're not monitoring the kids constantly. It's just if there is a, a report of um, some argy-bargy, a little incident. That sounds sensible. Uh, I, I say that cameras in schools is, is new to me. It is. My little boy, my two-and-a-half-year-old, is um, in nursery, and they have cameras there, which we as parents can log into. I could, my little boy will be in nursery in about half an hour. I, on my phone, I could watch him, if I so desired. And the first two days he was there, oh, we watched him all the time. We watched him all the time. It was wonderful. Uh, and then you get a bit bored of it. And it's password pr- protected. It's completely secure. So there's no problem. What do you make of that? Um, I think it's like, as long as it's not being abused, it sounds kind of sensible. Doesn't it? Oh, wait, 459-455-555. We're asking, how would you spend £400,000? If I had £400,000 to spend, I would buy a new wife. Oh, Vic, come on now. You want a decent wife, it's going to cost you at least half a million. We all know that. Rock sausage. Oh, did I just say the word rock sausage on air? I think I did. Uh, As texted, if I had 400 grand, I would put it into my son's college funds, because in 10 years' time, that's what it'll cost. A little bit of politics for you there. Um, Questions uh, for Hazel Simmons, the leader of Luton Borough Council, who is coming in. Oh, he's going to be on the phone, sorry. Would you ask Hazel Simmons if she thinks our perception of her and her council is improved by their refusal to accept any blame for the loss? Johnny Luton, good question. And ask the council, uh, this is anonymous, ask the council who is taking responsibility for wasting £400,000 of taxpayers' money. Who is being disciplined over this? Head should roll. Hazel should step down after this disaster. Well, she'll be coming on after eight. If you've got a question for her, 08459 455 555. This is Ian Lee on BBC Three Counties Radio. Good morning, dear listener. Plenty coming up uh, in the show in the last hour and a half. A meeting was held last night looking at how Love Luton Festival made a loss of almost £400,000. What would you spend that money on? After eight, we'll talk to Hazel Simmons, the leader of Luton Borough Council. Have you got any questions for her? If you have, 08459 455 555. And I'm on the search for under 10s to review Strictly Come Dancing for me. We just heard from Grace, who's 10 years old, and I thought was excellent but next up we've got hannah good morning hannah hi hi hannah you're from luton yeah do you love luton yeah nice one hannah how old are you eight eight years old fantastic so what year were you born 2004 okay that's just my little id check i have to have to make sure you you know that and are you a fan of strictly come dancing yeah tell me why you like it so much well because people dance and, yes. like, all the ladies dress are really pretty. Yeah. You're right, they do dance, and the ladies do dress pretty. Do you like the, the big flowery sequin dresses? Yeah. Do you, do you have any dresses like that? 
Well, no, but I've got, like, a bridesmaid dress that's got, like, a big flower on. And did, have, have you been a bridesmaid? Yeah. Was it fun? Yeah. Yeah, it's good fun. And are, are you ever going to be a bridesmaid again, do you think? Um, I think... Yeah, that'll be nice. Can you dance, Hannah? Well, oh. I dance around the house. <laughs> what, and what kind, that's brilliant. I dance around the house as well. I genuinely do. It's a nice thing to do. What kind of dancing do you do? Well, like, anything, really. Yeah. Can I go through some of the contestants who are on this year's Strictly Come Dancing and you tell me what you think of them, OK? Bedfordshire cyclist Victoria Pendleton. Yeah. It's my favourite. She's your favourite. OK. Jerry Hall. No, I'm not so sure. She was married to Mick Jagger? Well, yeah. OK. Johnny Ball. Yeah. Fern Britton. Brilliant presenter. Yeah, she is a brilliant presenter and a very nice lady. Hannah, listen, fantastic. Thank you very much. You sound superb. You are on the list. We will let you know whether you get through. Thank you so much, Hannah. Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. There we go, isn't that? Wasn't she lovely? Can we just not have adults call in and just get kids calling in? Wouldn't, that, wouldn't the world be nicer if it was a breakfast show where it was just kids calling in? Thank you very much, Hannah. Two very good contenders in the frame there. Hannah, age eight, and Grace, age ten. Oh eight four five nine, four double five five double five is the telephone number. If you want to give us a call, if you think your child or your grandchild might be good enough to come on. Now, the Lib Dems in Luton say that services will suffer after the Love Luton Festival made a loss of almost £400,000. The council says that shortfall will be made up by money from the airport, which it owns, so taxpayers won't have to pay. David Franks, leader of the Luton Lib Dem group, was at the meeting last night where the event, which included concerts, Olympic torch and the carnival, was discussed. He's on the line now. Good morning, David. Good morning, sir. Uh, Now, you were aware of how badly the ticket sales for the concerts were going, weren't you? quite early on uh yes i was and I, I deliberately didn't release that information because it would have killed the whole event stone dead um and that wouldn't have been good for for the town or or, or for the council so how early on did you realize that tickets were actually going to be a problem oh i can't remember the date but um at the time that i first um, got the figures, it was just a whisker over a thousand tickets had been sold. Am I right in thinking, I may have got this slightly wrong, that by by the end of March they had to have sold something like 10,000 tickets to break even or something like that, is that right? Well, but, yeah, something like that. They were, they, I mean, the target was 20,000. Yeah. And they were woefully but, short. But we did learn a couple of things last night. Um, <clears throat> so I think that probably the first thing we learned was that we need a lot more information about the figures. Yep. Because some of the... I'm not sure exactly what's included in what. Um, I mean, we need to look more closely at that. But it, it, it's quite possible that the losses, in fact, were about 530,000, 540,000, rather than the... Um, you know, just under 400. But we need to go into that Hang more, David, are you in, saying in that more could, detail. Are you saying that there's possibly £140,000 that hasn't been accounted for? Well, no, I'm not saying that. I'm saying it depends on how you add the figures up. that have included as income, for example, some things which uh, were not income at all. They're actually part of the council's budget. But it, it's, it's, hard to, it's hard to know until we've had a more 
um, more close look at exactly what's included in the figures. David, do you but, accept the council's reasons that the, the £400,000 loss was down to a mixture of poor ticket sales, increased marketing costs and having to manage Lewis Hamilton? Well, to be honest, the council's good at quite a lot of things, but organising pop concerts isn't one of them. They should have got a professional promoter in to organise it. That, that's where it really went wrong. Right. But the other thing, um, the other thing I think we, in a really important point needs to be made is that the council taxpayers are going to be lumbered with this bill, whatever the size of the bill is, 400000 or whatever, because the money that's coming from the airport is money that would be coming to the council anyway. Right. And if it weren't for this horrendous financial disaster, that £400,000 would be available to be spent on, on services that the council provides. The leader of the council, Hazel Simmons, who's coming on after eight, says that they were not aware of having to stage Lewis Hamilton. Do you accept that? Oh, yes. So they... Yes, I'm, yeah, I mean, they, I, I believe that they didn't actually know that Lewis Hamilton was coming until quite late on in the process. Right. But the security for him, the figure I've heard, again, I don't know if this is accurate, but the figure I've heard was only £8,000. Well, I don't, you see, I don't know that. Right. Because that, that's, that level of detail is not included in the figures they've published, which is another one of the things we need to look at. Should Hazel Simmons step down? Uh, yeah, probably. David Franks, thank you very much. David Franks there, leader of the Luton Lib Dem group, who was at the uh, Love Luton Festival last night, saying that uh, Hazel Simmons, the leader of Luton uh, Borough Council, should step down. Well, what do you think? She's coming on after eight. If you've got a question for her, 08459 455 555, or you can text 81333, starting your text 3CR. We've got some text on Love Luton here. Unless the council is claiming the airport is providing an extra £400,000 to cover the losses, then the council is misleading us, overpaying for the losses, says Neil, which was the point that David uh, made there. Them trying to blame the torch relay when it was the acts they chose for the concerts. Cynthia in High Wycombe. Well, we'll put all of these to um, Hazel Simmons when she comes on just after 8 o'clock. 08459 455 555. Now, this is an incredible story. Thieves have put lives at risk by stealing fire safety vents from Stevenage housing blocks. The equipment was taken from four high-rise flats, including from Harrow Court, where a resident and two firefighters died in 2005. Councillor Richard Thake is responsible for community safety at Counting Hall, uh, County Hall. Good morning, Richard. Good morning to you. This is incredible. What, what was stolen exactly, Richard? The, the, the dry riser uh, connections and, and from what I'm told, part of the actual dry riser itself. It's, it's an incredible story. I have to say... A disgusting story. I mean, obviously, these people have got absolutely no regard whatsoever for the safety of the people that, 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 that they have stolen from. No, I'm, I'm not technically minded, so I'm not quite sure what those things are. How important are those items? Well, uh, when, when you've got high-rise blocks, uh, obviously, when you've got fire at, at higher levels, you need a mechanism to get uh, uh, water up there to, to, to treat it. If you leave uh, uh, the, these pressure mains, which are they're, they're substantial pieces of kit, I mean, they are high-pressure, uh, in effect, metal hoses with, with connections that you can put uh, water and pump it in from either the appliances or from the actual water main. If you leave them charged, they're liable to leak and, and, and obviously become a danger themselves and mm. uh, obviously subject to vandalism. So what, what happens is that they are dry, and they are usually only accessible by uh, by the emergency services with a, with a set of keys. It is 
as yet uh, a mystery to me as to how they perpetrated this because this is not a, a, an act where you uh, an opportunist act where you can just rush in uh, grab something and go away this this had to be planned and it, it had to be uh, quite a noisy operation and it, it is inconceivable to me that these people weren't spotted but i can only assume at this stage obviously the police are investigating and and obviously the owners of the block um, uh, the, the the stevens borough council are liaising with with us uh, excuse me i've got an alarm going off are you okay is everything all right yeah, yeah, absolutely right Good. it's just one of those uh, one of those unforeseen bits of uh, things that happen in in a busy life. Right, sorted. Um, the, <laughs> <Thank you. laughs> I, my apologies. That's to quite all right, don't worry. An alarm in the middle of a, a, of a thing. It's what makes these things so wonderful. Indeed, Thank you. Carry live, on. live radio, let's keep it that way. Yeah. But I mean, I, I, I was uh, on, on the theme of how in, in earth this could have happened. Mm. Obviously, it's early days yet. Uh, an investigation will be going on, but it's inconceivable these people weren't spotted. I can only assume that essentially the innocent residents of these, uh, these flats... Uh, thought that this was, uh, um, you know, approved work from from contract. Can I just say, Richard, if anybody, if you see anybody doing anything in a fluorescent jacket, you instantly take it that they're from the council or something, don't you? In, indeed, so. I mean, I, I you know, I, I, I am absolutely not uh, um, placing any any assertions on on the no. residents. I am absolutely convinced that that, that, that to- in total innocence, there they were, seeing people probably yeah. working away, and it looked just just to them. Why Obviously would what the council have got to do in the future, and what we've got to do in the future, because these 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 dry riser mains are tested at frequent intervals, so yeah. it's not a, a not an unusual occurrence to see people working on them. We're obviously going to have to let the residents know, but then of course you, uh, it, it, it's it's more expense, more difficulty, and uh, means that you can't just drop in there when it's convenient. I don't understand why someone would take these. What what, what would well, benefit scrap, is it? It's scrap value, and and and, and I mean, that if you. If ever you've seen one, you would know that, that, that this is not normal scrap. It is, it is, they are highly uh, technical bits of mm. kit. You know, I mean, it's essentially wheelhead, wheelhead uh, control valves and, and the accoutrements that go with it to allow water at immense pressures to be pumped up several storeys. Richard, very quickly, we're running out of time. Uh, have lives been put at risk because of this? Without question. I mean, there is no doubt the, 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 the fact that you, that you alluded to that, that we've already lost two of our mm. operatives and, and a resident there. The, the, if, if, if a fire occurred there and you hadn't got this stuff, very, very difficult indeed to get uh, water and, and uh, firefighting equipment up so many flights of stairs. They are necessary, essential bits of kit. Richard, thank you very much. Councillor Richard Thate, though, who's responsible for community safety at County Hall. <laughs> 7.45, it's Wednesday the 12th of September. These are your headlines this morning on BBC Three Counties Radio. Families of the 96 Liverpool fans who died at Hillsborough are to find out more about what happened in a report that's released later on today. Luton Borough Council are assuring taxpayers the £400,000 shortfall from the Love Luton Festival will be covered by income from the council-owned London Luton Airport. In sport, a penalty three minutes from time by Frank Lampard spared England's blushes and forced a one-all draw against Ukraine in last night's World Cup qualifier at Wembley. Your weather across beds, hearts and bucks. Bright to start this morning, but the cloud will build, bringing rain. Top temperature is 17 degrees. And coming up after 8am, we'll be speaking to Hazel Simmons, the leader of Luton Borough Council, about Love Luton and why it cost Luton Council almost £400,000. Got a question you want to ask her? Well, tell me, and if it's good enough, I'll put it to her. 08459 455 555. BBC Three Counties Radio. 
you've got to love a bit of Jonathan Vernon Smith. He'll be in in about half an hour or so to tell us what is happening on his show. Now, are you one of the two and a half million people out of work at the moment? The latest unemployment figures come out later this morning, and it's being claimed in Milton Keynes fewer jobs are being advertised. Well, Sue Sapwell is an assistant employment supporter for MK Council and its adult continuing education programme. Sue's on the line. Good morning, Sue. Good morning. What are you noticing at the moment, Sue? Are jobs available? There are jobs out there, yeah. I think it's just a different way of looking for them. In what way different? Um, Well, with the Neighbourhood Employment Programme, the council's actually working hard with employers so that they actually are told what, you know, what um, vacancies are coming up and it's therefore we can actually work with the clients and actually look at their skill set and see where they match up. We heard earlier on in the show about uh, job clubs in Milton Keynes. Are, Are they popular? Yeah, they're very popular. Do they actually lead to work, though? Because I have heard people say, well, it's just... If you're in a job club, you're off the sort of unemployment list, even though you're still getting um, the job uh, seekers' allowance. No, that's the difference. Is there it... is work programmes... Right, OK. ..which are mandatory from through the job centre. Right. But what we offer in the Neighbourhood Employment Programme is a job club and you don't have to be... It's not mandated. They come because they're there and to use the facilities. How many of your your clients get work off the back of your help? We've had some... Quite a few successes. I'm not... I mean, off the top of my head this month, we're just air job clubs, Mm. which is the ace ones. We've had four people gone into work. Fantastic. We've heard stories over the last year of people in their 50s who find themselves out of work for long periods of time. Are they going to find it harder to get jobs? I think what they've got to do is to look at it differently. They have to look at their skills match and actually probably broaden their horizons for different jobs. And you're also looking to start a new jobs club in Milton Keynes Library, is that right? Yes, we're opening up. There is one already of a Wednesday afternoon, which is run by one of our partners in this project. Um, That's run by Milton Keynes Women and Work, but it is so um, well attended that actually the numbers are more than the facilities we've got, so we're opening another one in October on a Friday morning. Well, Sue, keep up the good work. I wish you the very best of luck. That's Sue Sapwell there, who's an Assistant Employment uh, Supporter for MK Council and its Adult Continuing Education Programme. Give us a call. Have you found it... We'll get the latest figures out after the show, and we'll talk about it tomorrow, no doubt, but have you found it harder or easier to get a job recently? Have you been to one of these job clubs, and do they help... 08459 455 555. I'm particularly keen this morning to speak to you if you're over 50. Uh, and uh, uh, how have you found it, trying to get a job? It's tough out there, isn't it, at the moment? 08459 455 555 is the telephone number. Now, families of those who lost their lives in the Hillsborough disaster will be allowed to see secret government and police papers on the tragedy for the first time this morning. They'll be given access to more than 400,000 pages of documents from more than 80 organisations. Just to remind you, 96 Liverpool fans died in the disaster, which happened shortly after 3pm on Saturday, April the 15th, in uh, 1989, sorry. Sheila Coleman is the spokesperson for the Hillsborough Justice uh, Campaign. Good morning, Sheila. Good morning. How do you think these papers are going to help? Oh, well, what they will do, undoubtedly, is to uh, vindicate... 
families and survivors in particular um, who have been saying um, what really happened to Hillsborough 23 years ago. A lot of what is in the papers we will already know um, because we have the evidence of people who were there on the day. Nevertheless, for us, it's the fact that those, that truth has been covered up. So it's actually putting in the public domain the true facts of the disaster. And as we know, um, and as is emerging, um, an acknowledgement that police statements were altered and there was basically criminal activity in mm. terms of a cover-up. It's not everything, though, is it? We, we heard earlier on that some of the names have been redacted, some of uh, the opinions of cabinet ministers have been taken out. Are you satisfied with that? No, not at all. And the Hillsborough Justice campaign uh, from the inception of the panel being formed, we've challenged this. We constantly challenged this because they were talking about total disclosure. And every time we tried to pin them, um, they could not say there wouldn't be any redaction. And we've always felt we've been around this for 23 years. We're not naive. We've always felt um, that uh, names would be redacted and people will be protected. That's the nature of the system we live in. Do you think you'll keep campaigning then to, to get everything out? Well, you know, th- it, put it this way, uh, CCTV cameras went missing from the control room at Hillsborough Ground um, on the day of the disaster when it was effectively a crime scene sealed off. If that could happen then, then there's been 23 years to do um, what you like with documents and for them to go missing. So, no, um, we don't believe everything will be out at all. What we would like is that there is sufficient where, there, um, where, where the decent thing is done and there is accountability. We would like the inquest there of accidental death quashed because it was a lack of care that brought about the deaths of people and um, we would like if there is um, the, the reasonable prospect of prosecution that um, those prosecutions are brought about for criminal activity not individuals necessarily but certainly South Yorkshire Police as a police authority be held accountable um, for it being the, resp- the cause of the disaster as Lord Justice Taylor outlined as long ago as 1989 had people listened to Lord Justice Taylor in 1989 we wouldn't have had this 23 years of unnecessary suffering by families and there would have been no need for this panel Sheila, how did you get involved with the Hillsborough Justice Campaign? Uh, Initially, I was an academic researcher and I monitored the legal proceedings after the disaster. In the course of that, I was basically on hand when I saw a cover-up emerging and got to know families and survivors and saw what was happening to them, saw that their vulnerability was being exploited. They were being exploited when they were at their weakest because of the trauma of the deaths. And um, I couldn't walk away from them. I've worked with them in a voluntary capacity ever since. And you mentioned the 23 years. Can you begin to describe how frustrating that must be for the families involved? Because that is such a long time. It um, informs every aspect of their life. Their physical health has suffered. Many have died um, prematurely, I would argue. And it impacts on all their lives in particular. And something that's forgotten is how it impacted on the for those who had children who died at Hillsborough, how it impacted on their um, siblings. Um, the children of Hillsborough families grew up in that environment where what dominated were, was actually the dead child. Um, and that's had all sorts of um, repercussions. And it's very interesting, some of the families I'm around, um, those children who are now adults, their take on that because they've never known anything other than their parents fighting for Hillsborough justice. 
Sheila, well, listen, uh, I'm going to follow today. It's going to be fascinating, and no doubt we'll possibly speak to you again at a later date. That's Sheila Coleman there, who is the spokesperson for the Hillsborough Justice Campaign. Just to remind you that... that uh, the families of those involved in Hillsborough will ge- be given access to more than 400,000 pages of documents. I'm sure we will pick that up tomorrow and have a bit more on that. Oh dear, I did 23 years. Just imagine that. It's incredible. OK, onwards and upwards. Uh, Love Luton is, uh, the, was discussed last night at a council meeting. We've got uh, Luton Borough Council leader Hazel Simmons coming on after 8 o'clock. David in Bedford has called in. Good morning, David. Morning. David, what's your take on this? What I'm saying is, why have they gone straight away for the airport? It's the easiest way of option of getting money out of people because uh, your people are trapped there in having to pay parking and everything. They're going to put the parking, etc., up. They should start looking at elsewhere of just spreading it across the board. They should never have spent that money in the first place anyway. And that's how I see it, is that Luton Airport will soon become a no-go area for people to park and everything. Just because you think that, that the prices will go up there to help cover this 400,000 miles. I don't know if that's the case, David. I'm not sure. I don't know either way. But I know that Luton uh, Airport does make contributions to the council every year. Yeah, but what the council are going to say, right, oh, they want now extra 50,000 a year. Right. And they're going to try and get it back that way, where they should be spreading it across everything. But some of the councillors should be responsibility for that money, in the sense that that project, right when I first saw it advertised, I said, who are half of these people? You're not, um, a, fan of, you're not a fan of Ollie Murs or The Wanted, David? Oh, yeah. But it's not that. It's just when you see the advertising, it right. wasn't advertised properly enough. Yeah, yeah. Do you think Hazel Simmons, the leader of the council, should step down? Yeah, the whole of the council should be held responsible for it. David, can I ask, do you love Luton? I don't. I like Luton as a whole, yes. OK, David, thank you very much. David in Bedford there. Wants to know why the money is coming from the airport. It's a lot of money, £400,000. Hazel Simmons will be coming on after 8 o'clock. So, if you've got a question for her, you've got a few minutes to get in touch uh, and let us know what that question is. 08459 455 555. You can text 81333, starting your text 3CR. We're also still looking, you've still got a little bit of time to get in touch before they go to school. If If your child or your grandchild, 10 or under, thereabouts... Um, wants to be our Strictly Come Dancing correspondent. The new series starts on Saturday. I've got to be honest, I'm not a massive fan. I'm not a massive fan. We'll be talking about it. Uh, and that's why I kind of need a couple of experts to come on and talk about it. But I don't want to get the usual experts. You know, you, you, you get the, the same old, same old people coming on. I want to get someone new, someone a bit fresher. So we are looking for people 10 or under or thereabouts who want to be our Strictly Come Dancing correspondent. We've had a couple of excellent um, people phone up already. An eight-year-old and a ten-year-old who I thought was superb. If you think you or your child or your grandchild could do better, give us a call now. 08459. Four double five, five double five, and just let us know why you think they'd be so good. You can text as well eight one three double three. Start your text three CR. You can also text us. I'm asking a lot of you this morning. I know, I know. I slept very badly, despite the fact that my. Uh, by the way, the controlled crying worked. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. The baby slept through the last two nights. Fantastic. 
controlled crying. It has, it has saved my life and possibly my marriage. Despite the fact he slept through, I slept very badly, which is why I'm, I'm, I'm leaning on you, dear listener, today to help us out. 08459 455 555. You can also text 81333. Start your text 3CR. What would you spend that £400,000 on if you had it in your pocket burning a hole? What would you spend it on? You can be as ridiculous as you want on that. I want some good suggestions, please. Coming up, last hour of the show for Jonathan Vernon Smith. More about cameras in schools, more about jobs, and Hazel Simmons, the leader of Luton Borough Council, comes on. All of that after the latest news and sport with Catherine Boyle. Wednesday, the 12th of September. Blimey. Three minutes past eight. This is Ian Lee on BBC Three Counties Radio. A meeting was held last night looking at how the Love Luton Festival made a loss of almost £400,000. In a few minutes, we're going to speak to Hazel Simmons, the leader of Luton Borough Council. We'll have more on cameras in schools. And I'm on the search for under-10s to review Strictly Come Dancing for me. We've already heard from Grace, who is 10, from Stevenage, and Hannah, who is aged 8, from Luton. Could you do it? Could your kids do it or your grandkids? 08459 455 555 or text 81333 starting your text 3CR. BBC Three Counties Radio. Now, this is the thing you've all been calling on about this morning. Luton Borough Council says that the £400,000 loss from the Love Luton Festival will be met by income from the town's airport and not the taxpayer. However, opposition groups claim that taxpayers will still bear the cost. Councillors met last night in Luton to uh, discuss the event, which included two concerts, the Olympic Torch and the Carnival. Hazel Simmons is the leader of Luton Borough Council and she's uh, on the line now. Good morning, Hazel. Good morning. Hazel, what went wrong? There's no doubt that uh, we regret the loss of, um, actually, the main problem being lack of ticket sales, uh, the additional money that was needed for marketing the event, and also the late news that Lewis Hamilton was coming with the flame, which meant we had to have a new, a different infrastructure and also a lot more security. How much did the security for Lewis Hamilton cost? About £16,000. OK. So it's not massive amount of the £400,000, is it? No, it's all part of it, isn't it? When you build it up, that's, it's all part. All of those things together were what was, was caused the overspend. Uh, you say poor ticket sales. Um, uh, it, do you not think it was odd to have two similar acts in The Wanted and Ollie Moors that would have attracted a similar audience? N- no one was going to go to both, were they? Well, some people did. Well, quite a lot of people did, actually. They weren't at the original price of, what is it, £35 a ticket? No, they were reduced, as you know, to £15. Eventually, yes. Yes, eventually. Um, the, the advice we received, and we did take a lot of advice from the industry itself uh, on what was the best uh, options to do. We brought in an artistic director to help us, and uh, these were the names that came up as people that, uh, names that people would come to see. And the marketing we did leading up to the event certainly indicated that young people in particular would go to see these two acts. But again, not £35. I know you reduced it, but it was two weeks before the, the concerts you reduced it? Yes, we reduced it. The reality was that was the marketing price that, that young people said they would 
pay when we first went out on the negotiations for this. We did a marketing. We didn't just come up with this amount of money. It was guided by the uh, people that we employed uh, to, to help us do this. And their indication was this was the kind of price that young people would pay. We talked to young people in the town who said they would pay that. So did the artistic director get it wrong then? Well, obviously, if you know, you know yourself that there's been a lot of festivals this year cancelled. Uh, they haven't been able to get the ticket sales. Um, I think that possibly uh, we w- it was just um, at the wrong time, perhaps. But the principle of the festival was an outstanding success. Is it true, uh, and you can correct me if I'm wrong on this, that you needed to have sold something like 10,000 tickets by the end of March to break even, and at that point you'd only sold 1,200 Something like that. Um, That's a I, huge I, I gap, couldn't, Hazel. I, I couldn't tell you exactly um, the, the, the figures. I'm sorry. If it, let's, let's assume it's something like that. Uh, it, let's, let's be generous and say you'd sold 2,000 when you needed to sell 10,000. I think it was nearer 2,000. Okay. Yeah. That's still a huge gap. Hazel, did you not start panicking then? Well, if you if you remember, in January, the executive took a decision to uh, self-insure ourselves for three hundred pounds, mm. three hundred thousand, sorry, um, for the event because we were obviously concerned. But the, the whole point you have to remember the whole point of the Love Luton Festival was to help us um, with the Olympic torch coming to the town, which we thought was actually a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity for both the young people and the people that live in our town, uh, and also to help us promote Luton in a positive light. It, everybody loved the, the Olympic torch, and I'm assuming nobody is saying we wouldn't have wanted the Oh, the, the torch, torch was fantastic. I'm well, aware that... The whole idea of the Love Luton Festival was to help support that. Unfortunately... It was to pay for it, wasn't it? We hoped it would pay for it, but, you know, obviously it didn't. So it's it. cost you £400,000. A lot of the other areas... I know Plymouth, for example, uh, for them just to put on the torch, it cost £150,000. So why didn't you just pay that instead of putting well, it on what was a disaster cost, it would have cost us 200 about two hundred and fifty thousand to put on the torch i heard 215 15 sorry yeah uh, 215 000 to put on the torch so that's still a hundred and my, my math is terrible hundred and eighty five thousand pounds extra that you've yes. wasted and we thought well it's not wasted the well, event it is, wasn't, isn't it the event was not wasted you need to talk to some of the young people that went to oh it. the event was excellent i'm not yes. not denying that the event was excellent it was very expensive though accepted and uh we regret very much the loss of the money but uh the reality is you have to balance it against how it's how successful the event was and that we've gained a um a lot of promotion for luton uh, as a, a in a proper light rather than some of it we normally get particularly in the national press you have to realize well you would know that um we were covered in the national press all over that weekend and we ha- we reached about 5 million uh of our of the newspaper buying community uh, and that is a big achievement for Luton it's not something we could never afford a media campaign like that and sometimes to ensure the whole point of bringing business to the town of, of regenerating the town is to change some of the perceptions of our town and you, you've got to try and do that in whatever way you can you say that £300,000 was self-insured I yes. don't understand what that means it means the council take money uh, it's it's too expensive to do it through insurance so the council take money out of reserves so it's your say, money it's the council's money yes but that's, that's like why me, it's called self-insured but that's like me saying i'm insuring myself against being hungry today by having 10 pounds in my pocket it's, it's that money that's your money so it's not an insurance is it it's your it's not money like an insurance company no but we couldn't afford that that would cost the taxpayer too much okay this money from the airport which the council owns yes 
you would have got that money anyway, wouldn't you? Uh, probably, uh, we were not really sure on this. Yes, we probably would. But the truth of the matter is... So that, that, that's that money that would have gone somewhere else. negotiations with the operator of the airport, uh, they, they've successfully, successfully concluded... Um, very successfully just recently there is an underspend in what was the consultant's budget to our advisors on on airports um and there is of of £750,000 so we are going to ask the airport company to uh pay a dividend of 400,000 of that to cover the love loop but so so somewhere taxpayers the council taxpayer does not pay well isn't that smoke and mirrors because that might you would have got that money anyway so something somewhere something is losing out on that money i'm not saying the money wouldn't have come to the council what i said was it wouldn't come directly from the council taxpayer it wouldn't have come out of what they pay to keep the council going but that sorry the the press on this four hundred thousand pounds from the airport you would have got that money, or at least some of that money, from the airport anyway. So it would have gone somewhere, and now it's going to cover up your mistake. Well, if, if you want to put it like that, that's not the way... What we've tried to do... That's the way the Lib Dems ensure, think it, it's well, working. Well, you know, there's politics, um, obviously, involved in all of this. The, the, the reality is, what we have tried to say is that the council taxpayer of the town will not have to pay for this. It will come from the airport... I accept the money would come to the airport anyway, but it may not have gone into council services. It could have gone. Uh, the airport could have decided to uh, give it to the community sector uh, to fund uh, volunteer, voluntary groups, etc. So voluntary groups will, will lose out now? We're, no, because there's... It's, it's I'm confused, a, Hazel. Sorry, I, maybe I'm being stupid. I'm confused. Th- this money is being diverted from something else, whether it is a council-funded operation or it's voluntary it groups. It is an underspend of money that's not, no longer needed within the budget that we can use that doesn't mean anything does it well no it's 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 a it's a fair way of doing it it's not the only first time we've ever used airfort money to to fund the council in some way okay that's that's what it it feels ever so slightly you're dodging the question slightly and 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 maybe i'm it's it's my um inexpertise that's that's phrasing inappropriate i will try it one more time that money that four hundred thousand pounds would have come to you possibly anyway so somewhere is losing out because that money is being used to cover up the disaster that was the Love Luton Festival. Yes, the point I was trying to make is that the council tax pay it, that it will not come out of council tax to okay. pay for this. Right, OK, but, the but, 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 the, but taxpayers will be losing out because something won't be getting that £400,000. If you wish to put it that way, yes. Well, is that right? Yes. OK, right. Uh, you gave Colin Chick uh, the job of looking after the music festival. He normally looks after building roads and bridges. Bad, uh, bad idea? He also looks after regeneration of the town. Right. And how is that appropriate in staging a pop concert? It was all about <coughs> promoting Luton. If you read all the, the paperwork and attended the briefings that were before that, we explained very clearly why we were doing this. It was to help support the Olympic torch coming here. It was to make it a big weekend for the town. Uh, that's why we moved the Mella and the Carnival to part of the event. And we also... Um, wanted to promote Luton in a good light. That was that was the thinking behind the whole event. Luton did get a lot of press, didn't it? Uh, it got good but, coverage. But that was that was just Lewis Hamilton. That was the low cog. No, that's event. Not, that's very unfair on the thousands of people that volunteered to make this event very No, no, no. I'm, I'm saying in press in, in, in terms of the press, the only national press I saw was Lewis Hamilton. That's not true. When the torch that's the only arrived, press I saw. When 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 the torch arrived at Pope Pope's Meadow, there was national press. Oh good. Uh, but again, it was that was that was a, the low cog event, wasn't it? 
it was all part of the the event they were talking about the love luton festival mm. that's what they talked about in the press the, uh, the press that i saw hazel was talking about i, I didn't see love luton mentioned i saw uh, lewis hamilton mentioned i saw the olympic flame being mentioned Okay, it was all based around Luton, and yeah. it was about the promotion. But of what Luton. I'm saying is that you would have got that press whether you had the Love Luton Festival or not, because it was it was the the, the Lewis Hamilton and it was the uh, Olympic Flame. I don't think we would have got as much press as we got. We certainly wouldn't have got sixty-seven thousand people, possibly, and we certainly wouldn't have had twelve thousand attend the Olympic torch. Is, was it sixty-seven thousand? Is that is that a fact? Because some people may have come twice. I've, I've heard the figure; it was close to thirty-seven thousand people. Over the weekend, we had uh, the estimate is, and we we it's always estimated, as you know, it's difficult to nobody actually counts every person. Right. Um, it's always an estimate, and, yeah. and the estimate is it was around sixty-seven thousand people. We're, we're, but but it could have been thirty-seven thousand people because some people may have gone twice. I doubt it. No, I think... Do you have any evidence for that? Uh, No, I haven't. I can't argue that. Is um, uh, the Love Luton Festival celebration drinks, is that still taking place tomorrow? I have no idea. Oh, you you mean the Love... um, uh, The Luton Who's event? Yeah, the the celebration drinks for the Love Luton Festival. Is that happening? I believe so, yes. Feels a little bit inappropriate, doesn't it? It's not my event. Okay, you going? I'm not sure yet. So you might go have a little celebration, celebratory drink. I'm not sure yet. Uh, th- okay. That is not my event. That is being supported by the Luton Who. Okay. Uh, finally, Neil has texted in. Uh, he wants to know who is being disciplined over this. Heads should roll. Hazel should step down over the disaster. David Franks, the leader of the leader of the Luton Lib Dem group, also says you should step down. Are you going to resign, Hazel? No, I'm not. The event was actually a very successful event, and you have to balance that against the the regret regretfully the 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 cost. But we would have had a cost anyway. Therefore, you have to take that into account as well, um, and look at this sensibly and balanced. Have a balanced view and say, was this a good event for Luton? And I would argue it was. So, you, with with four hundred thousand pounds overspend, you think is acceptable? You have no intentions to resign. I'm not going to resign, certainly not on the say-so of David Franks. Hazel Simmons, thank you very much. There we go. It's Hazel Simmons, the leader of Luton Borough Council, and she remains the leader of Luton Borough Council. Uh, well, what do you think to that? Satisfied? Happy with the answers you got there? 08459 555 Right, it's Wednesday the 12th of September. It's 8.17. These are your headlines this morning on BBC Three Counties Radio. Families of the 96 Liverpool fans who died at Hillsborough are to find out more about what happened in a report released later today. Luton Borough Council are assuring taxpayers the £400,000 shortfall from the Love Luton Festival will be covered by income from the council-owned London Luton Airport. In sport, a penalty three minutes from time by Frank Lampard spared England's blushes and forced a one-all draw against Ukraine in last night's World Cup qualifier at Wembley. We'll have weather shortly with Steve and coming up, is it right to put CCTV cameras in school? We'll talk about that after this. BBC Three Counties Radio. Oh dear, it's that bit of the morning that I'm contractually obliged to pretend to enjoy. <laughs> I love it. It's Jonathan Vernon Smith. <laughs> uh, and it's Dress Down Wednesday. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> what <are> you say? <laughs> normally, uh, normally you come in... <laughs> no, it's not criticism. Have I, you to, I've you... got a very busy afternoon. And I just couldn't be bothered to put my jacket on. Have it's... you paid 50 pence to come in mufty today? <laughs> no, normally you come in very, very smart. And you've dressed kind of casually. I, I, this is my sports casual look. I've got my cream action slacks on <laughs> and, uh, and my teal jumper. Lovely shoes. Thank you. They're very expensive. 
I'm wearing trainers, fat trainers, because they're, I know, no, I know. They're like, they're like American tourist trainers. <laughs> Do you know what? I'm, I'm now, at the, now I'm nearly 40. They're really comfortable. <laughs> <laughs> they're so comfortable. I like, you wouldn't like my shoes. Look at these. Oh, they're lovely. They are. They are. They're so heavy. Yeah. It's like walking around with pieces of furniture on your feet. I wouldn't, I wouldn't wear those on a daily basis. That would be a smart event. They're smarts. Oh, no, I like a wear. I like a smart shoe. I think you can tell an awful lot about... <laughs> I like a smart shoe. He just said I, that. Yeah. I, uh, I think you can tell an awful lot about a man by the shoes he wears. What's on your show today? Coming up on the big phone-in today at nine, I'm asking, does CCTV belong in schools? Campaigners are criticising what they say is the excessive use of CCTV surveillance in schools. The civil liberties group Big Brother Watch obtained figures for England, Scotland and Wales using the Freedom of Information Act. In the east of England, there are currently 7,000 cameras in schools. Did you know this? Yes, because we've been doing this. The Department of Education says CCTV can be beneficial and it's up to head teachers to decide whether to use it. Well, from nine this morning on the big phone-in, and I'm well aware you're about to have a discussion on this. I look forward to that. I'll be asking, does CCTV belong in schools? Is it sensible mm. to have CCTV in schools, or is it uh, an invasion of, of children's privacy? Do you think it's also allowing a lack of discipline because teachers don't have to discipline children anymore because if they behave badly, it will all be filmed on CCTV and they can always use that against them later on. If you have children who go to school or grandchildren who have CCTV in their school, are you very pleased? Is it a good, positive thing? Or does it outrage you? 08459 455 555 to CCTV belong in schools. We'll discuss it on the big phone-in at nine. We had a, a very interesting headmaster come on who um, explained that in his school uh, they would use it and, but it would get wiped very quickly. Only two people ever watched it and it would be if there was a reported incident they could go back and check it. That sounds quite sensible to me. As long as there's some privacy. I don't, I've, I don't know about you, I didn't have CCTV when I was at school, did no, you? No, no, no. Some of all, my of team not. upstairs were saying, oh yeah, yeah, we had CCTV in there the toilets. There are kids upstairs, though. And things like that. In the toilets and changing rooms is inappropriate, I think. Well, I don't know whether it is inappropriate. I mean, yes, in the cubicle that you're going to be using, but then when you think about it, when you think about it, a lot of bullying used to go on in the school toilets. You know, I mean, remember yes. bog washing? Jonathan Bernard-Smith will be on at nine o'clock, and I Were think... Were you bogwashed? I think he's... That should be your question. Were you bogwashed? Jonathan Bernard-Smith from nine o'clock. <laughs> Always worth a listen. It's, we're, we're being slightly flippant. It is a very serious topic, and it will be interesting to hear how the conversation goes. Across beds, hearts and bugs, this is BBC Three Counties Radio. <laughs> I'm still chuckling at the bog-washing comment from Jonathan Vernon-Smith. <laughs> it's still making me laugh out loud. Oh, dear, oh, dear, oh, dear. Well, uh, listen, this is Ian Lee on BBC Three Counties Radio. Um, let's go to Hazel. Um, good morning, Hazel. Oh, no, sorry, it's Liz in St Albans. I do apologise. Hello, Liz. You're talking about Hazel Simmons and the Love Luton Festival. How are you, Liz? I'm fine, thank you. What did you make of Hazel Simmons there, the leader of Luton Borough Council? I loved the comment that they couldn't afford to pay for proper insurance just in case something went wrong. Yes, that did strike. If, if I'd have had, I could have spoken to her for an hour because I thought it was fascinating. If I'd have had longer, I was going to ask her what that would have costed. Oh, a lot less than the shortfall that they've uh, lost. 
Liz, are you, were you satisfied with Hazel's answers? I mean, she says uh, that it, it put Luton on the map, Luton got a lot of good press, and it, um, it kind of helped the area. Do you agree with that? No! I mean... Lewis Hamilton remember the same. I love that they blame Lewis Hamilton for the amount of money they lost. Mm. I mean, okay, they probably didn't know to the last minute that he was actually going to run with the flame, which is fair enough. But that was absolutely ridiculous. The £16,000 is a tiny... And she's all, it all adds up. Look, it does add up, but I, I, you can't really include that as, as being a reason it, it cost over four, it cost £400,000. No. I mean, they should have done... A youngster's concert and an older person's concert. Mm. You, I think, Look, yeah, I think you're right. Liz, do you think that Hazel should step down? I don't know what she's like because I live in St Albans, so I don't, I don't know what she's like as, as a um, councillor. Right, OK. But she, she needs to ask a few more questions. OK, Liz, well, listen, thank you very much. 08459 555 555. Jez is in High Wycombe. Jez, what would you spend £400,000 on? Right. Um, obviously, obvious things. Pay my mortgage off. Uh, get the work finished on the house, because we've got lots of work still to do on the house. What, what, what are you getting done to the house, Jez? Um, basically, having all the outside redone and the driveway widened, because we've got a very narrow driveway. Oh, it goes... My, it wife, go- my, wife, my wife sort of lost half the car over the years of going up and down the drive, because it's really narrow. <laughs> is, is it, now, now, Jez, I think you're being very polite there. Are you saying your yeah. wife is a terrible driver? No, not at all. Good lad. No, well done. Well done. No. Okay. We've got we've got a rather big car. And it's probably too big for the driveway. Oh, That's look at them. you, flashy Jez in High Wickham and his big <laughs> car. Okay, so you get the house done, pay the mortgage. What else? Um, probably, probably first and foremost, I would get my outdoor aviary built for my budgies because I've got. Uh, I've, I've currently today got 19 budgies in our living room. Oh, I can hear them as well. Just be quiet for a second. Let's have a listen. Are they all living in your living room? Yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> Jez, that would drive me mental. <laughs> well, it started as a little hobby. A friend of mine, who he was a breeder, he sort of, he unfortunately had to let some of his birds go because he had to move out of his, out of his house. Yeah. Um, so uh, I took some of his birds on, just thinking oh, it would just be a bit of a bit of fun. Something just to, just to sort of like you know, extra pets in the house, but then I decided oh, I think I think spiky really think it's quite good fun. I had them as a child anyway when I was a lad. Does your Does your missus like them? Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. It's, it's a bit of a love-hate relationship she has with them. Right. Sometimes she thinks, well, they, aren't they sweet? And other times they're making too much noise when he sends his noise, like, shut up! <laughs> <laughs> Jez, well, listen, thank you very much. Jez would spend £400,000 on getting an Avery for his, his uh, budgies. 19 budgies. In the living room? Oh, my goodness, great. I don't watch EastEnders, but even I would tell them to shut up. Thank you, Jez. Now, would you be happy about your child being filmed on CCTV when they're at school? A report by Privacy Pressure Group, Big Brother Watch, says in our region there are over 7,000 cameras in schools with 144 in bathrooms and toilets. The pressure group says CCTV cameras are being used as a quick fix to much more complex problems. Emma Carr is Deputy Director of Big Brother Watch and joins me now. Morning, Emma. Good morning. Why did you feel the need to investigate this? Well, there's a few different reasons, really. Um, First of all, as you can imagine, one of the big things that we do is we look into the increase of CCTV in this country and we're quite often asked to estimate the number of cameras within the UK which is a near impossible thing to do so mm. we thought it'd be quite interesting to have a look at schools specifically it's not something that's ever been um, done before just because it's such a such a big task so we ended
took that. And also in May, um, the Protection of Freedoms Act was introduced into Parliament. And as part of that, the Home Secretary has to put together a CCTV code of practice and introduce a surveillance cameras commissioner. Now, as that stands at the minute, the code of practice and the commissioner will have absolutely no jurisdiction over cameras in schools. And so we thought it was going to be important to highlight the growing number of CCTV cameras in schools, especially publicly funded schools. And ha- we don't quite understand what the difference is between uh, regulating the cameras where our young people are, some of our most vulnerable people, mm. and, and, and having a camera on the street. Yeah, but the, the, these cameras aren't filming kids going to the toilet, and the schools that we've spoken to say it's about teacher and pupil, pupil safety. So where, where's the issue as far as you're concerned? Yeah, I mean, as, as, as far as we see it, um, cameras, wherever they are, should be used proportionately and should be used transparently. If parents and children are all right with um, the location of cameras and um, schools are being transparent about the way they're being used, that isn't necessarily a problem. However, we do know um, that there's very, very little research to suggest that CCTV actually tackles problems. A lot of schools came back to us and said, the reason why we have uh, cameras in change rooms and bathrooms is because of antisocial behaviour and bullying problems. Now, I know from having talked to um, various head teachers um, on radio shows and things like that, um, that, you know, in a lot of cases, that's just does not tackling the problem face on. That's um, a quick fix. And a uh, majority of unions, I think, are coming out and saying that actually, if a school is on top of these problems, that the, these cameras are very unnecessary. Emma, listen, we're running out of time. I, I find it fascinating. I could talk to you for much longer. It's Emma Carr, who's Deputy Director of Big Brother Watch. Uh, and Jonathan, after nine o'clock, will be asking, does CCTV belong in schools? On FM, AM and online, BBC Three Counties Radio. Good morning, this is Ian Lee. It's 8.32, here till 9 o'clock when Jonathan Vernon-Smith comes on and does his thing, which is always good. Uh, What have we got coming up in the show? Well, a meeting was held last night looking at how Love Luton Festival made a loss of almost £400,000. Jez and I, Wickham, called in and he said he would have spent the money on an aviary for his 19 birds that live in his living room. What would you spend the money on? 08459 455 555. And also, we're looking for a team to review Strictly Come Dancing. They must be 10 or under. Grace, aged 10, from Stevenage, called in, and I asked her some very important questions to see if she was up for the challenge. Have you got your eye on anybody? Maybe that's for me to know and you not to care. Oh, Grace, I like this. I like this. I like this feisty attitude that you've got. Grace there. Now we've got two sisters, sisters aged seven and ten in St Albans. We've got, uh, Kia, is it Kiana? Yep. And Sienna, is Sienna there as well at the same time? Yep. But you, was that you answering, Kiana? Uh, yeah. Excellent. Right, let's talk to you first. So, Kiana, tell me a little bit about yourself, please. How old you are, what you look like, and what you do for a job? Well, I'm ten. I wash up for my dad. I always watch Strictly Come Dancing on TV. I think it's my favourite programme, and I, it makes me want to get up and dance. Hang on a second. Let's just go back a little bit about this career choice you've made. You wash up for your dad. Yeah. Have you got a dishwasher? Uh, no, we just wash up in the sink. OK, that's old school. I like that. Retro. That's very good. Why can't your dad wash up, Kiana? I don't know. I just sometimes feel to do it to myself. Does he give you any money for it? Uh, no. I think he should start. Yeah, well, listen, Kiana, I think he should start as well. I'm going to write him a very strong letter later on today telling him that he should. Now, why do you like Strictly Come Dancing so much? Well, because it's... I love when the ladies dress up in them sparkly dresses. I think it's really fun and... Oh, girls are so different from boys. (laughs) 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 They are nice sparkly dresses, aren't they? 
Yeah. Do you like the music they play? Oh, yeah, I love it. It just makes me want to dance. Who is your favourite judge on Strictly Come Dancing? Grey. Greg. Oh, you like Greg. Okay. Uh, and I'm going to run through some of the names, uh, Keanu, of this year's contestants. Just give me a little quick, uh, you know, idea of what you think of them. Uh, Victoria Pendleton. Yeah, cycling. Okay, excellent. Uh, Johnny Ball. Um. Ooh. Children's. Hang, hang on a minute, Keanu. Is there somebody whispering you the answers in the background? <laughs> there is, isn't there? <laughs> <laughs> Kiana, let me have a quick word with your sister, Sienna, if I can. Okay. Thank you, Kiana. She's nice. I like this. This is fun. Hello, Sienna. Hello. And you're seven years old, are you? Yeah. And what do you do for a living? Um, mummy, what do I do for a living? Um. Do you go to school? Um. Do you, um, do you go to school? Sandra. Okay. Yeah, yeah. You yeah. go to school. What's your favourite subject at school? My favourite subject is ICT because you get to go on computers and I love computers. And what do you like doing on computers? Uh, I Watching Strictly Come Dancing. <laughs> <laughs> on computers at school? It's no, not at school, but at home. Okay. But at Oh, I like doing science. Fantastic. On the so you're a little bit scientist. Superb. Um, I'm going to yes. run a couple of names past you of this year's contestants. And if you could just tell me, Sienna, what you think of them, OK? Uh, Fern Britton. I don't know. OK, that's, that's, that's absolutely fine. Cyclist Victoria Pendleton. Really pretty. She is very pretty, isn't she? Well, Sienna, listen, Sienna and Kiana, it's lovely to talk to you. Thank you so much for calling. We will have a little meeting afterwards and we'll make a decision. Okay. Thank you so much. Are you going to school today? Uh, yeah. Okay. Well, you have. And, a l- I've, got, and I've just started swimming because I'm in year three now. Oh, fantastic! And do you like swimming? Uh, well, I can't swim, so I'm going to learn to swim. Oh, well, l- listen, you've just had a little human element there, because we could perhaps follow your swimming progress. Are you swimming today, Sienna? Yeah. Well, brilliant. You let us know how it goes. Have a fantastic day. Sienna and Kiana. We've had a lot of good talent. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking, and we'll talk about this afterwards, I think we may have to have a pool where we, we dip in and out, and maybe we get a slightly different... Per- that, weren't they fantastic? Weren't they Fantastic. This is Ian Lee on BBC Three Counties Radio, and today I'm thoroughly enjoying my job. Um, now, we have been uh, talking about unemployment this morning. The latest jobless figures are out in about an hour's time. In Bedfordshire, a new scheme's underway to help people who live in social housing to find work. Peter Rayner is the Employment Support Coordinator at BPHA, Bedfordshire Pilgrims Housing Association. How does this programme work, Peter? Well, um, what's happened is the, the European Social Fund have provided some money uh, through um, Bedford Borough Council and Central Bedfordshire Council for us to deliver employment skills to people living in social housing. So what we do is we meet with people that um, live in that type of accommodation that are unemployed and over 19 years of age to find out what we can do to support them back into work. Now that might be preparing a good CV for them, helping them fill in a good application forms or providing them with interview skills. It's a whole range of things tailored to their individual circumstances that try and make it uh, more likely that they'll get the jobs that they're looking for. Why specifically target people living in social housing? 
Well, um, historically, um, households that are, uh, come under the banner of social housing um, have a higher degree of worklessness. In other words, no one in the household is uh, in paid work. Um, around about 40 to 50 percent of social housing um, uh, has workless households. Mm. So it's important to try and give support to these people, particularly as people in social housing tend to be the more vulnerable members of our society. And what results have you noticed? Well, by just giving people a little bit of help, by giving them some hope and giving them some specialist advice on things like CV and interviews and job searching and so on, we've been able to make a difference to people. I mean, one thing that's impressed me is, is I get to see people that are quite low, quite uh, um, uh, lacking in confidence, and then within a few weeks, they actually look at their own CV that we've helped them deliver and they say, is that me? Is that, have I really got those skills? And it, it brings on their confidence, and once they're in work, the changes in them is absolutely tremendous. And have you helped people get jobs, Peter? How successful has this project been? Well, um, the project's in its fairly early days. Mm. It's only been running a short time, but already, out of a target of 250 people, we've uh, already engaged with 80 people, and of those 80 people, already nine of them are already in work. Fantastic. Now, obviously, it's, it's early days now, but uh, and we hope to, to get a lot more people into work. We've got a target to achieve 44 people into work by um, September 2014. So we've made a good start, but there's still a long way to go. Fantastic. Well, that's superb, and I wish you all the best of luck with it. It's funny, isn't it? Having a, having a good CV is, is such an important thing. I work in a ridiculous industry, Peter, where I've never had to do a CV, and I know that I, could, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't have a clue how to do it, but there are simple little tricks and techniques you can use to just make you stand out a bit more, aren't there? Absolutely, and if you ever need a CV, you can always come <laughs> to me. I'll do my best to help you. Peter, but listen. Yeah, it, it's about making sure you sell what you have to offer an employer, yeah. and, and, and that's all there is to it. Peter, when this all goes pear-shaped for me, as it inevitably will, it always does, I'm coming round there. And you could totally help me. Thank you very much, Peter Rayner there, who's Employment Support Coordinator at Bedfordshire Pilgrims Housing Association. Uh, I'm having fun this morning. It's, it's, it's a good mix this morning. Should we have a quick look at some of the front pages of the newspapers? As we have a couple of minutes. Don't forget, Jonathan Vernon Smith uh, will be on at nine o'clock, and uh, it, it's always it's always worth a listen. I've got, I'm very lucky in that uh, I kind of leave here about quarter past eleven, something like that, and I get to listen to him as I'm driving down. And I drive slower uh, on the motorway. I do drive slower on the motorway so that I get to hear him for the whole journey. It's wonderful. Uh, he had some cracking calls on yesterday. Uh, let's have a quick look at some of these front pages uh, of the newspaper show. It's all about Andy Murray. Andy Murray, Andy, he's got a hot girlfriend. What, what does she see in um, the multimillionaire tennis supremo Andy Murray? Uh, the Sun, 1p to £100 million. Tennis ace Andy Murray yesterday revealed he won the US Open by giving himself a pep talk while having a pee. I, I would imagine his tennis skills possibly had something uh, to do with that, but there you go. And there's just lots of pictures of him sat in, in America, uh, in New York, with a trophy. Everyone's got a different picture of him in New York City with a trophy. Uh, migrants make mugs of us all. The Express, the Mail, fury over Clegg bigot bl- slur on gay marriage opponents. The Mirror, it's Andy Marry. Uh, the, the, he's going to get married. It wasn't me mispronouncing it. Uh, Independent um, talks about the story. We've talked about uh, the Hillsborough. Police did doctor evidence in a bid to avoid blame. 
Uh, Army on strike alert. That's because there could be a general strike coming up. That's in the Times. The Telegraph, it's Andy Murray and uh, Nick Clegg. And The Guardian. Questions over ministers' links to his advisers. Uh, let's go to Luton uh, and Helen. Hello, Helen. Hello. Uh, we called him out Love Luton. Do you love Luton? I like Luton. I think the Love Luton Festival was the biggest waste of time. There was nothing for older people. My daughter actually went. Um, she wanted to go both nights. I said no, it was too expensive. She actually bought a full price ticket for Ollie Murs and then ended up going free for the other concert right. because that's what they did for people that had bought full price tickets. When they reduced the tickets, they gave free tickets to whichever concert they hadn't bought the ticket for. Oh, I see, yes. So her saying that people didn't go twice is wrong because people did go twice because they got a free ticket. Mm. Um, we went to the torch relay on the Monday morning, well, and on the Sunday evening, because yes. my daughter was actually singing as part of the Luton Youth Cantoras. Oh, fantastic. And none of, none of the local fantastic Luton music groups were invited to take part in any of these celebrations. Um, outside groups were brought in. Why was local talent not used? Yeah. At probably half the price or, you know, no cost. Well, yeah, I'm sure a lot of and local talent would have done it for free. For there a little is plug. a lot of local talent of in there Luton. Is. There's cantoras, um, concert bands. Helen, you sound quite angry about all of this, are you? I, uh, did you know that Hazel Simmons was actually, when she came on stage on the Monday morning to speak, she was sort of booed. She wasn't really cheered. She was sort of booed. Right. Because ev- the feeling, I think, down there on the Monday morning was she shouldn't be there, and she's made a complete and utter mess of the whole I, thing. I was there on the Monday morning. I was standing quite a bit away from the stage, though, so I didn't hear if there was any booing. Do you think you, well, should, there was. Do you, think you should step down, <laughs> Helen? Oh, definitely. Definitely. The whole thing was a fiasco right from the start. And they said about other concerts being cancelled for lack of sales. Well, then surely that tells them something. Mm. When we're not selling the tickets, cancel it. Helen, thank you very much. Helen in Luton, who's angry uh, about the whole Love Luton debacle. It's 8.45. It's Wednesday the 12th of September. These are your headlines this morning on BBC Three Counties Radio. Luton Borough Council's leader, Hazel Simmons, is refusing to resign in the wake of the row over the cost of this summer's Love Luton Festival. The headmaster of a Buckinghamshire school, which has a CCTV camera for every seven pupils, has denied infringing children's privacy. David Hood from Cressex Community School says the cameras make pupils feel more secure. Sport England manager Ray Hodgson's been praising his players for sticking to the task after their one-all draw with Ukraine in last night's World Cup qualifier at Wembley. Your weather across beds, hearts and bucks, bright to start this morning, but cloud will be, uh, the cloud will be bringing rain. Top temperature is 17 degrees. Coming up after 9am, Jonathan Vernon-Smith is asking, does CCTV belong in schools? BBC Three Counties Radio. Uh, we've got uh, Nick in Hitchin on the line. Good morning, Nick. Morning. Do you love Luton, Nick? Uh, not at all, no. Hmm. Why is that? Um, I just, I, to be honest with you, I just don't, I think it's a lost cause. There's so many bad things about it, especially with this Love Luton um, concert, the, the downfall. There's, there's just irreparable damage been done to it. it, it I think they've gone about it the wrong way, personally, with a... I mean, to lose four hundred thousand pounds is, is extraordinary. There are there are some great things about Luton as well. As the last caller said, there's a lot of talent in Luton. 
Well, I don't. I've only ever been there a few times. I just, it's just an air to the place. So I just don't feel comfortable when I'm there. So I keep away from it. To be honest with you, the, the four hundred thousand pounds it does seem excessive. Uh, it does. I mean, I mean, you don't. You know, whichever. If you're a business and you lose four hundred thousand pounds, somebody somewhere has got to explain it away and say, "Well, this is where it's gone." But it just seems to me that the, the explanations weren't good enough. You know, the, um, she was sort of waffling around your questions that you're asking her, you know, avoiding them. That's why that's the impression I got anyway. I think you raise a good point there, Nick, that uh, uh, you're right. In business, if someone had, had, that money had gone, someone would have to take responsibility. And it would appear that no one from Luton Borough Council is actually putting their hands up and saying, do you know what? It was me. I that's made exactly a series the, of mistakes and I'm really sorry. Yeah, that's exactly the impression I got. That mm. You don't lose money like that and it just disappears. It's got to be investigated. I'd, um, I just happened to think it was all put together wrong, you know, with the Olympics and that sort of thing. And I, the, maybe the cost was being tried to, maybe they're trying to hide the cost with something else or say, well, this happened, that happened, this more. It just all seemed wrong to me. Somehow. Nick, listen, thank you very much, Nick in Hitchin. Oh, wait, 459 555. Now, the memories of that very special day in Hertfordshire when GB won gold and silver at the Lee Valley Whitewater Centre will be with us for a very long time. Unbelievable scenes! Unbelievable scenes inside the Lee Valley Whitewater Centre. Tim Bailey from Bedford, uh, Tim Bailey and Etienne Stoff from Bedford have taken the gold medal in the C2 event at the Lee Valley Whitewater Centre. He's so excited, isn't he, Luke? The silver medal goes to uh, I David love it. Florence and Richard Hounslow. I have never seen anything like this in my entire <laughs> life. I love that clip. That's Luke Ashmead, um, who's been covering uh, a lot of the events at the Lee Valley Whitewater Centre. I've never heard a man so excited in my life. It's incredible. He had to go and lie down for a month after that happened. Uh, <laughs> Luke Ashmead was there to witness it, and he's been back for the unveiling of the venue's legacy plans. So now that the spectator stands have been taken down and the Olympic Roadshow has left town, what next for this world-class centre? Luke's been speaking to the chief executive of Lee Valley Regional Park Authority, Sean Dawson. That turnaround, quickest in Olympic history, I think you You're said? right, Luke. It's the quickest, apparently, in Olympic history for any venue... Uh, Olympic venues are open to the public, so we're very proud to uh, set that record. Uh, you've got a big job, of course. There are some you know, venues on the Olympic Park that you've got to take care of, but here at Lee Valley Whitewater Centre, people of the local area get to use this facility day in, day out, week in, week out. Absolutely right. This is going to be a 52-week-of-the-year venue. The first thing was to get it open as early as possible, to build on the momentum and excitement people have felt during the Games, and we've managed to achieve that. We opened last weekend, and it was a very busy, fully-booked weekend, and the bookings are very healthy for the next couple of months on the rafting side. But what we need to do is work very, very closely with the British Canoe Union, with the local clubs and schools, to start to develop the sport at grassroots. What we have here is a venue like no other in the country, but of course something like this in the southeast is novel. It's completely different. It's a new sport for most people. Uh, another legacy is, is the jobs that have been created at Lee Valley Whitewater Centre. That's right, and, and that reflects how busy we were in that first year. I think we expected to create around 50 jobs, but that ended up being 135 because we were just overwhelmed with the popularity of the centre. And that bodes well again going forward as we reopen and get some of those jobs back. And when we invest in the next year or so, it'll be a bigger and better centre and hopefully more jobs uh, for local people. Tell us about that investment. We we realised at the end of the first year of operation that we really were bursting at the seams in terms of parking, catering facilities and even changing areas. So in order for the facility to grow and to respond to the demand that was clearly there, you know, we need to invest. So along with Sport England and the British Canoe Union, we're putting in around £4.5 million to extend the car parking, 
some more catering facilities, extend the changing areas, and most importantly, to establish the British Canoe Union here so it becomes a national centre for canoe slalom. So their facilities will be established here as well. If I come back to you in four or five years' time, do you think you can deliver on all the promises that you've made? Well, we're determined to. We've made a good start in our first year, and, and so we're in a very good position going forward. But it is about the test. How, how do you judge performance? And if you were to come back in four years' time, I'd like to think that one of those um, tests we'll be able to meet would be there'll be young people coming through, they'll be getting ready for future Olympics in 2020, 2024. But also that a venue like this can reach far and wide in terms of its interest and popularity. During our first year of operation, we had people here from Exeter to Edinburgh. I mean, that just shows you its UK-wide popularity. And to have this in the heart of the South East, you know, serving Hertfordshire, Essex and the home counties, it's fantastic. That man said 2020-24. Yeah, I don't know why it made me chuckle, but it did. Fantastic stuff. It's very exciting. Well done, Luke, for, for that. That was Luke uh, Ashmead speaking to Chief Executive of Lee Valley Regional Park Authority, Sean Dawson. Uh, I, I've got to say, if you're, if you're on Twitter, start, you can start following at BBC3CR, because in a few moments, the most ridiculous picture I've ever seen of Jonathan Vernon Smith is, uh, is going to be retweeted. I, I, he came in, he looked a little bit it's as though he dressed down you know normally he's so smart and dapper and he looked like he was in mufti today and he's taken great offense at that so he's tweeted a picture of himself <laughs> he looks like he's modeling for like a um you know a, a cna catalog or something or what he should be doing is pointing up to the sky and looking into the middle distance uh the, the picture will be retweeted shortly uh, follow at bbc 3cr it is the most it's the funniest picture i've seen in a long time it's him in his slacks uh with his very very smart shoes uh his foot on the a chair in the office uh, <laughs> oh it does make me chuckle it does make me chuckle indeed, which is, uh, which is all very well and good. Uh, we've got some texts. Oh, look at the time. Sorry, I should stop waffling on and get on with the show, shouldn't I? Otherwise we could be here for another half an hour. Um, text on Love Luton. Uh, David said, does Lewis Hamilton... Part of one of the reasons that it was said that it, it cost so much was £16,000 was spent on security for Lewis Hamilton, who um, was there... Well, he was there for a while, actually, because he signed a lot of autographs. He, was, he seemed like a very nice lad. David asks, does Lewis Hamilton need £16,000 worth of security every day in whatever tax-free haven he currently resides? Of course not. Waste of money. If people want to be famous, then let them deal with it themselves, like they have to do every day. 16000 does seem a lot of money for, what was he there, two hours? Seems a lot of money, but, you know, he, to, to be honest, you, you, you sort of would have to give him that security. Uh, we've had some texts on Hazel Simmons. If you missed Hazel Simmons um, coming on today, you, you can listen to the show on BBC iPlayer. I think maybe we'll clip a little bit of uh, Hazel Simmons as well and put that out as an audio boost. So again, if you follow at BBC3CR on Twitter and join the Facebook page, we'll, um, we'll clip a little bit of that audio so you can listen to it on the move, as it's so popular these days. Uh, Michelle says, Hazel answers questions as she wants. When we argued about the swimming pool, they said some of the money was coming from the airport. When it went to overspend, it was coming from the airport. Our airport has a lot to answer for. No wonder they want to extend it. Mike says, Ian Hazel never accepts any blame for council mistakes. Neil in Leegrave says, Hazel Simmons' attempt to cover up the waste of money with the airport cover is a joke. Oh, why can't she be honest rather than try a PR campaign to hide it? Disgraceful. 
Uh, and we've got some tweets as well, at BBC3CR. Um, Steve Nolan says... Hazel Simmons on at BBC 3CR seems to not know whether Luton Borough Council would have got their airport money anyway. Does anyone at Luton Borough Council know what's going on? And Sally Ann Stewart uh, says, uh, Hazel Simmons on BBC Three Counties Radio this morning, still insisting that 67,000 people went to Love Luton Festival. The report clearly states it was 37,000 people. A lot of strong views on that, and, uh, you know, this will go on and on, I think. Now, this morning, we have been asking for um, some Strictly Come Dancing correspondence for the show. It starts on Saturday. It's got a good lineup, I think. Uh, I don't watch the show that often. I'll keep an eye over it, but I don't watch it that often. So we were looking for some experts to uh, come on and be regular reviewers of the show. Come on on a Monday morning um, and let us know their thoughts. We had some cracking calls. Surprisingly, no, boys. I'm disappointed. Boys, you have let me down. Here are some of the people that were brave enough to call us this morning. Have you got your eye on anybody? Maybe, but that's for me to know and you not to care. Oh, Grace, I like this. I like this. I like this feisty attitude that you've got. Are you a fan of Strictly Come Dancing? Yeah. Tell me why you like it so much. Well, because people dance. And, yes? like, all the ladies just are really pretty. I wash up for my dad. I always watch Strictly Come Dancing on TV. I think it's my favourite programme, and I, it makes me want to get up and dance. A lot of talent there. I think this is going to be fun. I will, we, we were looking for two reviews. I shall have a chat with um, the uh, production team uh, after the show. Again, I use that, that phrase very, very loosely. I suspect... <laughs> I suspect that we shall have a little pool of talent and maybe dip into that pool every week. So th- th- everybody who called in, just just sit back and maybe we'll get in touch with you at some point. But thank you very much for taking part in that. And I think that, that, uh, that, that that'll uh, be a lot of fun. And also, to be honest, have you, have you noticed that while I've been doing this job, and I'm doing this for a while now, this is, I know you've been messed around with different listeners coming in. for the, uh, It's me for a while. Uh, have you noticed I've been asking you to do more and more? Yes, because I'm very lazy. I'm a very lazy man. And I'm more than happy to delegate work out to you, dear listener. I think the more that you can do, the less I do, just the happier everyone's going to be. Aren't they? I'm sure they will be. Uh, do follow at BBC3CR because we'll be tw- uh, audio booing. That's where we play a little minute, two-minute clip. I don't understand the technology. I don't understand how it works. Basically, we'll, we'll post a little cl- some clips and bits and pieces of the show. That's how it works, I think. I've got no other idea beyond that. Don't forget that Jonathan Vernon-Smith is on after nine o'clock and we will see if we can get that picture of him in his slacks up on the Facebook page. I've never seen anything co- quite so ridiculous. It's, it's incredible. Uh, he's coming up after nine o'clock and he'll be asking, does CCTV belong in schools? We're both old enough that the CCTV didn't exist when we were when we were youngsters. But apparently it's everywhere now. I kind of think it makes sense, as long as it's not being abused. Anyway, I'll shut up. I'm going to have a cup of tea and rest my head. Jonathan Mellon-Smith coming up next. I shall be back tomorrow at six. Until then, ta-ta. Getting beds, hearts and bugs talking. This is BBC Three Counties Radio. Honestly, isn't he rude? Thank you, Ian.